This is the Truth Warrior Podcast with your host, David Whitehead. All right, there we are. Welcome, everybody. Glad to be back with you here. It is Friday, August 11th, 2023. I hope you're well wherever you're watching in the world. I am very excited about this conversation. I want to thank a good friend of the show, Laura, for hooking this up. Um, I've been speaking to many from the paramedic community um, over the past few years, talking about uh, some of the on-the-ground information that they would be sharing with me behind the scenes. Uh, you're not going to hear about a lot of that stuff in the media, of course, which is why we got to do shows like this. And I'm so glad to welcome Chet to the show. He was speaking out in the COVID inquiry that was going across Canada. He's from Nova Scotia, and he testified at the COVID inquiry hearings there. Uh, gave his testimony, which, you know, was greeted with applause. And we're so glad we have people like Chet who are willing to come out and uh, speak publicly about what's happened. Um, my understanding is that uh, Chet was injured by the vaccine and uh, also was just watching from his uh, position on the ground with what was going on with the policies, the lockdowns, the sort of COVID mania that was happening. And uh, so, you know, in many, many other things have happened and he's got a lot of a uh, lot of different things to share with you. So, Chet, I'm so glad to be able to do this. Thanks for coming on this show and welcome to Truth Warrior, my friend. Thank you. Pleasure. Well, where to begin? We should just give people a little background. You've been on a lot of great shows. You've been on Laura Lynn. You've been on Viva, um, a few other great podcasts. I hear you're going to be doing some chats with Peter McCullough and whatnot coming yep. up. So yeah, this evening, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're getting out there. And so maybe we should just start real quick with your background. Um, you've been a paramedic for, for how long? And, and then maybe tell a bit about your story here. Sure. Uh, so I'm from Nova Scotia. I've been a paramedic here for 12 years since uh, 2011. Um, I, uh, I'm trained as an advanced care paramedic, uh, but only registered as a primary care paramedic when I was finishing uh, ACP school. Um, I ended up going off work on injury, uh, and so some complications surrounding that prevented the last uh, few weeks that would be required to complete the registration and graduation process of being a advanced care paramedic. But I have all, I have all the training, just you know, being off work on injury, waiting to go back so I can finish that last little leg of it. It's a more of a complicated story than that, but we be here just telling that whole story um but um so at the start of the pandemic i was off work on workers compensation um and so i had plenty of time on my hands to kind of uh start researching things and trying to stay up on top of everything because um there was certainly some concerns um uh, being raised and the goal was hopefully to get back to work so we can handle this. And I learned about COVID um, in sometime in December of 2019 because uh, I was approached by a member of the Canadian Armed Forces who, uh, through training, being off on training and stuff, had been in contact with uh, either those who had come back from Wuhan or the guys that knew the through the grapevine of at the at the cap you know, the guys who came back from China and that kind of like raised concerns like yeah these these boys got real sick and there's there's there was things were strange uh, happenings going on in Wuhan 
and just keep your keep your ears peeled because it's probably going to affect you guys at work. And so I started paying attention. Um, Sorry, these were started, the guys that were there for the military games. I yeah, it's like that military games competition because they got um, the the belief is is that's when it the virus had escaped from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, infecting. Uh, people who work there, and then infecting people around the area. They spread to the Wuhan games, and then from there it spread outward because all the military members flew home, and they had to like isolate these guys on the plane because they were like obliterated, sick with like pneumonia and whatnot. Um, and so I started paying attention then, started looking into it, um, and knew pretty well right away that there was something wrong because immediately the world health organization came out and said this isn't spreading person to person um there's uh nothing to see here go back to doing what you're doing and i knew otherwise because i knew of the guys who got sick and then like my the whistleblower that i knew of or still know um got sick as well and had told me like how sick they were getting. And so that perked my ears up. Um, and then like, as things kind of went on, like paying attention to like the various treatments and stuff that like they, they would talk about like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And then they would trying to suppress that. And it's like, all you had to do was read the, uh, like the, uh, drug profiles for these drugs. And you'd have no, have an idea. It's like, well, these, these have at the very least have potential. Because um, for those who aren't familiar, like hydroxychloroquine is a drug used for lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, which are like chronic inflammatory conditions. And what what the drug does is it interrupts the like the chain of events that happen in your body that trigger like an inflammatory response. So that's how it works. So it helps those people, right? And what's COVID? It's an inflammatory disease. So if you use the drug at the right time at the right dose. Um, you can uh, hopefully interrupt that inflammatory response, thus preventing some of the more severe disease. And then when you pointed this out to people, they lose their shit on you. And it's like, well, that's a Trump drug. Or that's, oh, there was one point where they were saying it was aquarium cleaner stuff. Or um, they use it on animals, right? Like ivermectin, they were saying it's like. Ivermectin is only used for horse paste. Or, yeah, yeah, it's the same as saying like. Uh, insulin is a cat medication, right? <laughs> like, no. like we're all mammals. All these things will work on us. Uh, one that I liked to point out is uh, one of the drugs that we use in uh, EMS and like emergency medicine and cardiac is uh, nitroglycerin, which is used to, as a vasodilator to open up your blood vessels to help regulate blood pressure. Or uh, particularly, we use it in EMS for people who are having like angina or heart attacks to open up blood flow back to their heart. And what's the other thing nitroglycerin is used for? Alex Cabana knew this because he was a, a, a EOD tech, but nitroglycerin is the explosive component for dynamite. <laughs> like like we use, use different stuff for all these things all the time. So like, it's ridiculous. But um, uh, so uh, at the very start, like when I knew things were kind of going sideways, um, is right around when uh, Tim Pool kind of kicked off his podcast with Adam Pridler, and I reached out to those guys and kind of helped in the background a little bit, just kind of taking stuff and like digesting it. It's like this is what these like this is what this like medical 
like terminology actually means. This is how we actually do things. This is how ventilators are work and what they're used for. Um, when and when you'd use it, when you wouldn't use it. Um, and uh, kind of, I mostly talked to Adam Kribler quite a bit, and um, and just kind of help because, like, the people in the media, like, they didn't know like things were messy enough as it is, and then you read any articles and stuff and you know that like these people don't know what medical terminology means they don't know what any of this mm -hmm. stuff is so um just trying to be like a, a interpreter for them i guess um and then as time wore on um as things kind of got more and more crazy and initially here it wasn't so bad in nova scotia it was just like a quick lockdown and like based on the information you had at the time it's like okay i can we can just you you can make a justification of this but like it's like two weeks to flatten the curve like should be two weeks and no further because the idea is you take two weeks you move resources and personnel into place get the training out to people that need it um and analyze the situation you take a quick tackle pause and figure out what you're going to need to do figure out who's going to be vulnerable protect those vulnerable populations um whole nine yards and we, we have we have pandemic response plans that we're supposed to follow anyway and, and i was gonna so i was gonna ask you about that what you, you knew about that because i've spoken to others that said the same thing and they were shocked some of these doctors uh they yeah. were shocked that they were told not to follow our original pandemic preparedness response that we had to now adopt this new world health organization thing that yeah. just highlighted all of the common sense we had at the time of how to deal with this. Because of course, two weeks is one thing, but when you're closing down the economy and the roads and, and shutting down people's lives and now nobody's going to work, like the impact, which we've seen of that is catastrophic in so many oh, different it's ways. Disastrous. Right. Disastrous. So yeah. Um, yeah. Cause normally what you would do, um so like even just like outside of like say like a pandemic situation when you're dealing with an infectious respiratory patient you isolate them you don't isolate everybody else you isolate them like we have like you take uh like you would put them in like the isolation rooms which are kind of like they're uh they're sealed and they have like good air filtration and stuff and you try to keep them you keep them away keep them away from your vulnerable populations and then in a situation such as this or one that would say that was worse um because this certainly wasn't the end of the world like they portrayed it to be but you would anyone who is sick you would isolate them and then you would take extra steps in areas where you would have vulnerable populations say like immunocompromised people or like old folks homes and that type of thing and um you would just take extra precautions in those areas so you can keep everything else functioning because you need everything else functioning to support those people right and like shutting down like basically all of your logistics and stuff in a country that infects your healthcare system immensely among everything else because um like right at the start of this i remember um one of the the, one of the first thing issues that like i remember that popped up was trump had said uh we're gonna stop trading medical supplies with canada like, well you can't do that because um Canada is the only place that produces like red cedar pulp, which is used for like uh, filters for like proper masks and N95s and stuff. Like the only place that pro that produces it is a pulp mill in Nanaimo, BC. So you 
you need that because we control that entire market. Anyways, that lasts for like a day and that was up and up again. But um, right after, once this all kicked off, just as like it was declared, uh, Trudeau sent like all of our PPE to China, um, which um, <laughs> created a massive shortage. Like here in uh, Nova Scotia, like there was shortage of mass, a shortage of airway gear. Uh, I remember at one point uh, talking to my colleagues from work and like uh, bag valve masks, which are like the Ambu bags, you may know, like the, you see the like ventilating patients, they have the mask on and you're squeezing the bag to help help them breathe. Um, those are supposed to be one-time use um, and we couldn't get any more. So you had to take them apart, send them to Fleet. Fleet had to find a way to take them apart, decontaminate them, put them back together and send them back out on the trucks. Cause like you, that we went for months without getting new ones. Um, it was ridiculous. What do you think, sorry to jump in there, but what do you think yeah. about the whole mask policy that they used anyways? To me, it seemed utterly ridiculous and they kept it going and they want to bring it back. Yeah. But what's your but whole take on that mask thing? Uh, there's a difference between a mask and a respirator. You need to deal with um, a pathogen. Like you need to use an N95 or better, preferably better. An N95 is okay. Um, and you and I would both need to shave and we'd have to get mass fitted. Um, if it was to even do anything at all, right? Yeah. And like it, it basically, it, you need to get, you need to be clean shaven. You got to get mass fitted to make sure that it seals to your face properly. And then you need to get lucky. Then you need, you need to put it on, take, put it on and take it off properly. You're only supposed to wear it for a short window of time. Like if I was to wear one, say we're going into like the ICU to pick up a patient or treat a patient you put it on before you got in and then when you go in and treat the patient then it comes off gets disposed of correctly um goes off the the incinerator and you use it once whereas healthcare workers were put in a position where they had to keep reusing them and reusing them and reusing them like and like surgical masks don't do anything for this type of thing um they had kids sitting there wearing yeah. these masks all yeah, day like, like a, every day like What's the toll of, of that, you know, the damage to that, and then there's no benefit to them whatsoever. No, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's makes their breathing more difficult. Um, and like kids, they need to be, in order to learn how to speak like, and like, um, print out words and stuff and yeah. like pick up, they pick up on facial cues and they watch people's mouths speak and that's how they learn. And that was taken away from them for, for no reason other than like it, I don't think everything was nefarious. I think a lot. I think a lot of it was panic, um, because of the way that the government kind of drummed up fear, and then the media just took that and went to the took it to eleven, and scared the crap out of people. And so, I think a lot of policy was based around uh, people being scared for one. But yeah, like it's it makes sense for me to put on PPE wear like a proper respirator and stuff when dealing with an infectious respiratory patient or, or, uh, um, in a, uh, flip side dealing with somebody who's like severely immunocompromised. It makes sense from in my line of work to do that. doesn't make, doesn't really make sense for you to have to do it every store. Like, right. Yeah. Like you're, you're, the, you're on the front, you're the front, front lines. You're yeah, on the like, grounds. It's in this the close to my family. Yeah, exactly. Like, dealing with this uh, every day. That's a different thing. Yeah, it's very different. Um, and like, 
they they gave us proper respirators anyway, but like, but the the amount of times that you were told that you had to wear it was nonsense. Like they were they were. I might mind you, I wasn't at work during uh, the pandemic. I I was off at UCB, and we'll we'll come back to that in a minute. But uh, I remember seeing my colleagues and talking, and like they'd have to wear um, a minimum of a surgical mask all day, which is foolish because you're sitting in the you're in the same same uh base or you're sitting in the same truck for 12 hours with the same person that you're around the same patients all day it's like it doesn't doesn't even make sense like if if i have something my partner has it too <laughs> like it's yeah. it it doesn't matter um but like every call like even if it was like remotely COVID symptom related You'd have to go full on respirator, gown up, and everything before you even went in. And it's like, like we never did this before. Like, it's it's kind of accepted that, like, as a paramedic, like if if you're going to sick patients, uh, you're going to be off the next day because you're probably going to be sick. <laughs> like, it's it's just the way it is. Like, like I don't like on calls like that. I don't mind putting on like face masks because like it may not work it might i might get lucky but like i'll at least try but like to that make someone do that all day is nonsense it's just nonsense because like you're only supposed to wear a mask for like tops for like a couple hours and then it then it's then it's toast you get rid of it um and you don't get yeah. rid of it by throwing it all over the ground i mean the amount of no, masks it goes in the bio it goes in a biohazard bag and it goes to the incinerator Right. And where was the bio waste containers to collect everybody's masks? They're supposed to be switching out every hour or so because they're building up all that microbacteria, all that stuff. And it's just this, you, even when you would be forced to wear it within minutes, it's just, it stinks. It's horrible. You know, like, it's just not oh, it's miserable. It's, it's, absolutely it's miserable. brutal. And, and yet there's no proper waste disposal. And yet it's all getting thrown all over the ground. People are walking around and like, I'm sitting there going, you're, people are wearing t-shirts over their face that they've been wearing for months. They've been like, yeah. It was, and then you're touching it and then you're spreading bacteria everywhere. It's making it worse in, in many cases. In the way uh, I, I, I had people ask like when, um, like how often, like, like if you're wearing something proper and in a, in a situation where it would actually make sense, like how often should I change this? It's like after every contact, every patient, or at, at the very least, <laughs> if your underwear was in this state, would you change your underwear at this point if they were it was soggy stinky and gross would you change your underwear and the answer is yes and yeah then why are you why are you still wearing it on your face like yeah think of it's it like that yeah yeah it is foolish but uh, sorry i interrupted your train of thought you were just kind of going through the sequence of events yeah so you weren't working on the ground during the pandemic you were away uh did you want to get into that a little bit yeah sure so um as i said like i had I kind of was trying to research as best I could and like talking to like Adam Krigler, uh, Tim Pool's former co-host and a few others. And um, cause um, I was trying to like stay on top of things. Cause when I went back to work, um, um, I was going to be dealing with this firsthand. And like, we did have a few instances where uh, there were some pretty terrible instances. Like there was a, uh, nursing home in Halifax that just got obliterated by it but like and and I hear a lot of people go it's like oh well it's it went burned through old people like who cares it's like well that's 
it's kind of a terrible thing to say when you think about it. It's like, these are these still people, man. Like whether like you and I are probably just going to be, we're going to have a bad week, but like somebody in that situation is going to, you know, yeah. potential to kill them wet and flu, same with the flu and other bad respiratory illnesses. But it's like, they're, they still deserve compassion and care and for us as a community to, to make efforts to try to have things so that they can keep themselves safe. Right. And so that you and I can, go about doing our things so that we can provide for them and they can keep themselves safe for the staff that are caring for them, keep themselves safe. But um, as time wore on um, in um, December 2020, January 2021 is when the vaccines rolled out. And I had been researching them a fair bit. And um, you could only couldn't find all the information on it. And uh, I knew of like the risks of um, Guillain-Barre syndrome and uh, Bell's palsy and that, and like those things are kind of, kind of, I shouldn't say common, but known side effects of other vaccines. And I looked into because they did a they did an mRNA vaccine and a limited rollout with for the Zika virus in uh, Africa at one point. Yeah, and um, I couldn't find any like dangerous stuff any of that but i was eligible in the winter of like 2021 because i'm a first responder and i said no i'm good uh i uh i'm not working i'm not coming in contact with this and um right now so you know there's other people who are you know vulnerable that this let's assume that it's safe for let's set safety signals aside for a second and that let's pretend something actually worked. It would be more appropriate for them to have it. Someone who's actually in a, in harm's way than it would be for me. And so I was like, no, I'm good, man. Don't, oh, I'm not going to worry about it. And, um, time rolled around and, uh, I'm, I get word that I've lost my full-time slot on the ambulance because I've been off work for two years at this point. Uh, because, well, I, this is actually, I forgot to mention this. When I went off work, I went off work with this disorder. Um, and the first day of my PTSD treatment, uh, which was going to be EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprogramming, uh, was the first day of lockdowns. And so they kiboshed everything. Just, nope, not doing it. You're not allowed to go to treatment. Uh, and it's been canceled ever since. <laughs> which was And sorry, it kind of got cut there, ago. that one word. You, you said post-traumatic stress, yeah? Oh yeah, yeah. So I went off with PTSD uh, okay. in 2019, and I was supposed to start the treatment for uh, EMDR, uh, eye movement desensitization and reprogramming. It's like if you took like a Clockwork Orange, but did it did it for a positive reason <laughs> kind of idea, right? Um, where you kind of work through and process things, and they were like, "What do you think? You do this for a couple of weeks, you'll be good to go. You'll go back to work." And anyways. Lockdowns came on the very first day that I started it and treatment got canceled indefinitely. And it's been three years of nothing. Uh, and I think that that's an, that's an interesting part of your testimony is that people maybe didn't think about some of the mental health things that were shut down for people. Like we learned about the cancer patients that lost their ability to get screened and diagnosed and like yeah, all the other mine died like, of cancer. Oh, really? COVID. Sorry yeah. to hear. Yeah, but it was in it many is. areas, right? Like all yeah. it, basically the world became hyper obsessed around one thing and everything else be damned. And yet 
look at the devastating effects of that. And the mental health thing was something that was definitely not talked about. Oh yeah. And just taking like people not being able to, um, live their life or, um, meet the, the needs of their family and stuff because like their work has been shut down or their business has been, um, handicapped because people have been terrorized to the point where they're not going out and they're not spending like i've heard from so many people who have lost their business and our livelihood not not necessarily because like the government like shut their business down or anything it was just because business dried up completely mm-hmm. um and is awful and like that that has a tremendous effect on people's mental health and like like just even like like you can see like and just the way like the way that they basically terrorize people you can see like there's still people that are terribly on edge like it's cruel what was done to them man like like yeah like i like i've seen i ran into some friends um well this would have been last year but um in halifax and like and we hadn't been in touch during the pandemic um but like they were just they weren't the same people man like they were just like their nerves were shot like yeah and it's i know many as well yeah yeah it's awful it's and like i don't and some people like are angry at people in that position but like i don't i don't feel any anger towards them or i feel i feel terrible for them like it's awful like it's that is not that's no way to live right it's that they're just as much of victims of this whole thing as everyone everyone has been victimized taken advantage of or been brutalized in one way or another whether it was you had all your rights trampled on you were terrorized to the point where your mental health is in tatters your vaccine injured you've lost your livelihood it's it all it's it's everything man it's yeah. happened to everybody there's nobody well there's we know there are some people that escaped it but the ones who from top down inflicting it on people but yeah um to go back to where i was talking there um come spring of 2021 uh I was told that I had lost my full-time slot in the, like I, I hadn't lost my job yet, but I lost like my position in the roster and the pressure was coming from like WCB is like, well, we got to get you, try to get you back to work. Cause if you're not back to work. You're gonna lose your job. And that's, you know, that's your livelihood, your pension, your whole future, your whole career that you've worked towards your medical benefits, everything. Um, and meanwhile, it's not even your fault because you were seeking Help yeah, no, I, I your, couldn't even couldn't even and get that was shut down because of the lockdowns. Yeah, like yeah. I was doing all right. Like, um, my believe it or not, my PTSD is not isn't quite from what you think it would be. It's not from like bad nine one one calls. It's from a mess of other things, from like harassment from management and hmm. like things that they did to like my partner and stuff, like my my work partner. Like, um, but um. So uh, come spring of 2021, um, became eligible uh, in my age bracket for people in their 30s to uh, get vaccinated. And it's like I work directly with the people that this would affect. Um, like while I was off work, I've been staying with my folks and they're older. So they're again in the group of people that, you know, might be have the potential to be affected by this pretty severely. And I'm I'm guaranteed to to get it, bring it home. Um, went through all the information I could for been reading about it for months. Couldn't find anything that you know jumped out at me as potentially dangerous. 
And if it did what they said it did, you know, stayed in your deltoid, and um, which it doesn't, uh, I can afford to lose some cells in my deltoid under normal circumstances. Um, and um, and this would also would like so aside so aside from that where you were at at that point, you're thinking, look, I just want to get back to work here. It yeah. also became a requirement for your job, right? Yeah, it did. And like, just. I know some places in the country weren't very busy, but like um, we were in a bad place before this happened um, and things only got worse uh, when COVID came in because of burnout and policies like we've, we've been hemorrhaging healthcare workers in this province for years and it got worse during the pandemic and just listening to friends from work and stuff and just like the horrible time that they were having, just like there's this, this, uh, sense of duty to go back to work to try to help you know like only one drop in a bucket but but the whole thing was falling apart and like i just like felt and, and seeing like like how patient like covid patients were being handled like and just like the nonsense and just like i can't i can't have any effect sitting here i can have an effect if i go to work because mm. then then you're in it and then you can you know then you can advocate for people right um and so there was this the sense of duty to go back to work and you take all those things combined and it leads to um making the wrong decision um and so uh it was may 21st 2021 i got one dose of the pfizer vaccine and uh felt pretty crappy afterwards just lethargic and tired and that's like i've been vaccinated against everything else under the sun because i've worked in healthcare for years and um, that was just kind of par for the course, and that's kind of what everybody I talked to described it as. Like my other paramedic friends, nurses, uh, members of my family, just they just got kind of felt run down for a few days, and um, uh, it never that never went away. Um, I felt run run down and tired, and, and the first sign I knew something was wrong is because I had PTSD and it was a horrific insomnia and had to take medication to to sleep every night really? and i went from like being awake i'd be awake for like 20 hours a day um and then just very very light sleep to um being out cold for 20 hours a day we completely flipped wow. uh and not taking medication i was like okay well this is normally i'm like hyper vigilant awake all the time like my ears and Oh, now, now we're, now we're asleep all the time. And then started getting short of breath, uh, after about a week, week or so. And then, then I started to develop like little tinges of chest pain when I was doing things around the house. Like I'd take a shower, go make breakfast and my chest would get heavy and then it would get worse if I laid on my back. And it's all kind of, boy, this is probably over the span of about three weeks. It boiled to the point where. Uh, I was out in the yard trying to help dad do some yard work and ended up like collapsing in his tree and I had to get rushed to the hospital and stuff and landed there. Yeah. And, uh, sat with the triage nurse and she's like, what's going on? And it's like, well, I think I have either myocarditis or pericarditis based on what's going on. I'm short of breath. I didn't have a chest pain when I lay on my back. Um, and I'm sweating. My heart's going a mile a minute. My blood pressure's through the roof. And, um, they didn't do the EKGs and stuff and and everybody there knows me and it's like 
worked here for, for a decade. And um, I remember Chris had come in. He's one of the nurses. He's like, Chet, what do you think is going on? It's like, well, I think this is myocarditis or pericarditis. They present very similarly. And he looked at my EKGs and, and just like my presentation. He's like, just lay back for a second. It's like, is that worse? It's like, immensely. And he's like, yeah, I think you're right. And um, uh, we seen they ran blood work and that and a doc came in and later on he goes, yeah, I think you're just having esophageal spasms. I'm like, I don't think so. Like, I'm not having any trouble swallowing. Like, my, my blood pressure is like 160. Uh, my heart rate's like going like 130. Like, um, like this is not, it's not. Anyway, so then I got discharged and landed in the emergency room three times over the course of the summer. Um, and eventually I was like, because like the next time I was in, um, the doc asked me like, what do you think it is? And like, I think this is pericarditis. And he goes, well, I don't know. It's like, okay. And the third time it was the same thing. And I was like, I think this is pericarditis. He goes, well, I don't know for sure, but there's something going on. You should probably get like a stress test done and a echo. I can give you a shot toward it all, take the edge off. And anyways, I got discharged for the third time, sent home and uh, I called my family physicians like, look, I want my blood work and I want my EKGs. Um, and at first they wouldn't give them to me. Um, I had to argue with them, argue with them. And eventually they gave them to me. And Why wouldn't they give you that? That's weird. I don't fucking know. <laughs> just more just red tape. Just be a dick, I guess. Um, just be, wow, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I got them and it. I looked at my blood work and like, or my EKGs in two seconds, I could tell what was wrong. And I know for many, this may not, this may sound like gobbledygook to you and many listening, but in my EK, I'll explain what this means in a second. My EKGs, I had um, um, PR depression, ST, uh, concave ST elevation, and spodic sign, as well as um, in leads two and V1, my P waves were enlarged on one side pointing to left atrial enlargement so what those first things that i said what they mean is so an ekg is like a is a graph measuring the electrical activity in your heart because um in the top portion of your heart up in your atrium there's special t cells that will like depolarize and they'll send signals to other cells and it kind of goes in like a ripple chain through your heart and it causes your muscles to contract uh, sodium and potassium moves in and out. Once it gets, once you get to a certain polarity, calcium will flood in, and then the muscle contracts. It's the same idea when you move your hands and stuff. Um, but there was changes in the graph showing that cells were either um, not able to do their job effectively, or doing their job at all, or doing it slowly. So you have things that shift on the line. It's like if you think of it like, let's say you graph uh your car you and your car are driving to work every day and back as long as it's there's no changes and you get a clear path to go that vector graph um is gonna look the same every time the same idea is like when electricity travels through your heart it should always look the same every every heartbeat should look basically the same um because there's certain parts of the shape that's when you're Atrium contracts, and then another part when your ventricles contract and when they release. Um, in mine, those lines had changed because parts of my heart were having trouble getting nutrients and stuff. So um, the particular things I described point to pericarditis. There's other changes that you would look for in myocarditis or like someone having a heart attack. It 
And it depends what shows up. But that's that's a, I won't go into a full con cardiology lesson. I think that summed up that's enough. Good though. I, I love learning about this stuff and the yeah. terminology because yeah. you know everybody was very undereducated about this. The media, the alternative media, everybody. We were just oh, kind yeah. of like going off what we could, trying to read studies, trying to get a handle on it. And yeah, it's nice and most to people, people have never even heard of what pericarditis is. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just to, just to clear this up, because the, the skeptic mind people, the Twitter doctors are going to say, well, you must have had a history of this somewhere in your family, or you miss, you must have been suffering. It's, it's a coincidence that it lines up with short time after the vaccine. Uh, what would you say to add credence to the fact that this was damaged due to taking the vaccine? It wasn't from a getting COVID itself. That'd be the other thing they're saying is that, well, you got COVID and COVID caused the heart problem versus no, it's specifically related to the jab. I did not have COVID until a year later. Um, okay. They, they tested it and they did. I think I have like, I think they did like antibody testing as well when they did my blood work um and it came up negative so i'd never had had it um and it coincided with um the like the timeline lines up right if you give a kid if you make a kid a peanut butter and jam sandwich and then they suddenly break out in hives and rash and they lactic airway constricts and stuff um what are you, you going to, what's your first question? What's the last thing they ingested? Oh, it's probably the peanut butter that made them go in anaphylaxis. They're probably allergic to that. It's, and at the very it's, least, you're not crazy at all. You're on great grounds yeah. to say, I think it's something to do with the peanuts, right? Like you, that's yeah. a good assumption to make. And then you go flesh out the details and the evidence of that. Yeah. You are having what we know to be a known reaction to a medication. It's like, I mentioned it like nitroglycerin before as being a blood pressure medication. It's like you took, we gave you nitroglycerin and your blood pressure dropped. Heavens to Betsy, I wonder what caused that. <laughs> right. It's um, obvious to me, Chet. I just have to ask these questions just oh, yeah, for no, people uh, that are going to watch it, you know? Um, but yeah, I had like, like I had any of, I've shown it to like, other paramedics like you mentioned laura before i showed i showed her EKG. she's like that's clear as day you can see that from space <laughs> um and you can like um i could i i at the nci i actually sat with like the girls at like the volunteer desk and i brought out the uh cardiology book and explained this is what this is how all these things show when i show them my EKGs. like do you see what i just described and we showed you in the book and they're like it's the exact same thing even we can see it like it's it's like, like you're looking at the line, like normally there's like a baseline and what should be sitting like right here on the line is like way the hell up here. Like it's, it's pretty clear, mm -hmm. but, but we'll, but that was one thing. I had textbook EKGs for pericarditis and then um, changes to my P wave, which correspond to your atria, uh, the upper chambers of your heart. Like they were enlarged on one side. So it's pointing to one side being enlarged and it like even reads like right across the top of the EKG left atrial enlargement like on the ekg printout like all you gotta do like all you gotta do is read it um but nope that's i'm crazy um and then the other thing was in my blood work my ldh um can't remember if it's lactate or lactase forgive me it's lactate or lactase dehydrinate um ldh for short and it is um 
you find it present in your bloodstream when you have tissue injury. And normally it's in a range on blood work between like 120 to 240. Um, mine was in the 500s and then it was in the 600s and it kept going up every time they took it. So it's not specific to what tissue it's in, um, like troponin is, um, but it's showing that there's tissue injury somewhere in my body and it's continuing to get worse because it's like three to five times higher than it should be. And that should send off a red, you have that mixed with EKG changes plus symptoms and a patient that is like pale as a ghost and sweating and looks like absolute shit. If it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck with pericarditis, right? Like it's, anyways, um, I pointed these things out to my family physician and his words were, quote, you need to shut the fuck up. Paramedics are not trained to read EKGs or blood work. I don't care what it is you think you see. We are not entertaining any ridiculous rabbit hole that you want to go down. You're not getting um, a cardiac stress test or a cardiac MRI. This conversation is over. What? Oh, my God. And, and Chet, you're not the only one, man, to tell me nightmare no. stories like this. What a shot. Unbelievable. Comment. Yeah. Like, I've... As I said, I've shown it to colleagues um, and like the nurses knew what it was like when I went into the hospital, um, but it's just put on blinders. And like I had a, a yearly follow up with uh, a doc like through workers compensation because we like it's kind of like, hey, it's we do your, your yearly checkup. Like, how are you doing? Like, how's the PTSD symptoms and stuff? And it's like, well, it's like I'm still having the same issues. Like I'm doing I'm doing pretty good, to be honest with you, with all of it. But um still need a bit of help with a few things but um but i said like yeah the trouble sleeping still there and blah 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 and but this is my other issue that popped up it's like and i brought up my blood work and my um uh my ekg since like i think i have pericarditis i didn't say what it's from uh i don't i don't think i did i think i just said i had I think i have pericarditis and because like i was like even just walking from like the jeep to like the office i was like i'm out of breath and not doing great and he looked at it and he goes wow yeah there's definitely something going on here and i was like yeah he's like well your oh your troponins aren't up and i, I should probably explain what those are because you probably hear that a lot um so troponin is a protein that's used in muscle contraction uh so it's present in your skeletal muscles that you know make your fingers move make your arms flex that you let you move your mouth all that and they're also present in your heart because heart's a muscle um and the reason why you would see an elevated levels of troponins and say myocarditis um or uh, a heart attack is when you get a whole bunch of uh muscle cell death um those those cells dump their guts and then you get troponin that'll flood into the bloodstream. There's always like a little bit of troponin, but when you get like a huge spike, it means you've got a bunch of muscular cell death and you'll get, you can get that in myocarditis or in a heart attack because those areas become deprived of oxygen and nutrients. So the cells start to die rapidly. And then it, it kind of like escalates like on like a exponentially because like the, the, the longer a heart attack goes on, like the worse and worse it gets because your heart has a harder time to supply your muscles. So um, the other time you'll see it is you'll see it sometimes in marathon runners when they run like 
however long it is, little troponins will spike a little bit because they killed muscles or legs and stuff, right? But you said, well, your troponins aren't. I was like, yeah, that's why I think it's pericarditis because your pericardium is just this fibrous sac that encases your heart. It's like a like a protectable balloon, if you will, that sits around your heart that holds it in place. Okay. It's got a little bit of fluid in there that act as a shock absorber and to like um, to protect the exterior of your heart. So like when it's so like it doesn't like rub up against things and stuff. It's just like the it's just it's protective little bag that it sits in. And um, so if that becomes damaged, um, it'll dump LDH into your bloodstream, but it won't dump troponins because it doesn't have troponins. It's, it's not a muscle, so it doesn't contract. But like if it gets too swollen, it can start to squeeze your heart, and then then you get into bad news bears. But they said, like, I think this is pericarditis. There's no troponins up. I'm having these symptoms, blah, blah, blah. And, you go, and he kind of hums and haws, and he's like, well, we've well, when we have been seeing this like a lot lately in the emergency room in, at the QE2, which is the Halifax and uh, uh, which is the hospital in Halifax, um, he's like, well, we've been seeing troponins that are like uh, for myocarditis patients that are, you know, like com comparable to people having heart attacks. And I'm like, yeah, so like, aren't you putting two and two together? Like, you're seeing a lot more of this. I'm having pericarditis. And it's just like eyes glaze over. It's like, oh, there's nothing I can do. Like, I can't order you any tests or anything. Hey, kitty. Um, <laughs> Beautiful. I have a black yeah. one that looks almost exactly the same. Yeah, I used to have a black cat. <laughs> he was awesome. He was the best. <laughs> just so you know, Chet, I've personally spoken now to five, five year five uh, pa paramedics that A, told me I had a few that worked in Vancouver that I spoke with. Um, yeah. and they said Vancouver was supposedly like one of the big epicenters, one of the Canadian provinces of all these cases and everything. And he's like, I was on the ground working in the ambulance during the so-called explosion of the pandemic. And he's like, we weren't picking up these incredible amount of COVID patients. It was just the standard stuff. It wasn't, we didn't, it never came basically. Yeah. And it was these, kind of the same here. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing that was crazy is these guys were coerced to getting the jab themselves. Some of them got one, some of them got two. And you're number five that told me they also have either myocarditis or pericarditis as a result of getting the vaccine. And they're all telling me the same thing, that if they go and speak to their colleagues or anyone else, other doctors, they're told, oh, it's just an anomaly. It's a coincidence. They brush under the rug. And yet they're like, they told me they know others in their own medical field that also were damaged. And yep. nobody's talking about it. So this is a lot more common. Like than one of the guys on my rotation has like neurological issues and he can't drive anymore and stuff. Really? Right after getting it. And like I know I know tons of people in the Canadian Armed Forces that are injured. Yes, Dan. Um my whistleblower that I mentioned earlier got myocarditis and is injured. I'll I'll talk about them in a minute. But um sure. but I know I know all kinds of people. Um like I know just in my hometown, like I know probably dozens of, i don't really know at least a dozen people just in this town it's a town of like what are we like thirty thousand people here but mm -hmm. like uh i did actually get like an echocardiogram in like the fall of 2021 and like when i was there they asked it's like well, what's your what are the dates of your vaccination and i said may 21st 2021 like why don't you have a second one it's like because i'm here for an echocardiogram to look at my heart to see if i have myocarditis and pericarditis 
and the girl laid at the girl at the desk and like gave me like the stink eye and um the other lady that was there knew uh, one second sorry as you're muted my kids are playing right outside my office window so if you hear any uh background noise that's what it is for <laughs> 10 45 minutes yeah it's a while Slice and grab it and get one for a long barbecue. Yeah. Really? No, I'm good. I ate earlier. Thanks. Sorry. We're good. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Dad just wanted to know if I want some barbecue. Did you eat? Uh, no, the kitty cat did not eat yet. I'll have some barbecue. <laughs> just asking how long to throw the, the barbecue when uh, he's doing big tails in your fryer. <laughs> so. Uh, okay. Um, where was I? Oh yeah, but like the other lady like spoke up and said like yeah like, um, our neighbor's son has myocarditis from, from the vaccine, and the lady was like, oh, and it's just like this kind of like, like moment of realization kind of washed over her face and, and like things, and like I had to like when I had to go and pick up my like blood work like I wasn't allowed in the hospital like this thing's crazy here in like the fall like you couldn't go to restaurants you couldn't go to um the gym you weren't allowed i wasn't allowed in the hospital um at one point because i wasn't double vaccinated i was like right because you're under vaccinated yeah that's i'm under the, that's I only have one call you. yeah yeah and it's like i'm here to pick up blood work and they're like well you need to have two shots to go in and get it and it's like i have to walk 30 feet down the hall and take a left or right and pick it up and i'll leave like and i had to sit there for 20 minutes like explaining like this is why i'm here that's just what's going on Blah, blah 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 and it was like i didn't didn't make a scene or anything it's just like this is dumb <laughs> this is very dumb um but yeah um when things and like and as soon as like like i got injured like i had reached out to like tim pool and adam Kredler and told them like this is what's happening pay very very close attention to this do not take that thing for the love of god um and then I did that with them and same with like Carl Benjamin, if you know, Sargon Avocad, you're familiar with him. Yep. Yeah. I went on like one of their zoom calls cause I was, would go on a zoom call with them like every month and kind of, it was like a community, like hangout thing and, uh, explained what happened to me and told them all. I was like, this is what's going on. Do not do this. This is very bad. Um, and, uh, convinced a lot of people <laughs> to have second thoughts. Uh, but, when I knew things were really bad is uh, it was in January of 2022 when a buddy of mine who's a medic in Moncton, New Brunswick, uh, got in touch with me and he said, Hey man, like we just had, um, it was just in the hallway at the Emerge and we were talking about what happened with you and some other people. And, um, the other crew piped up and said, yeah, we just had like three cases of that and kids in like the last like three weeks. And, uh, the other crew piped up. I was like, "Yeah, we had one too." Um, kids having chest pain and myocarditis, like like teenagers and people in like early twenties, and um, which they're now trying to normalize. Yeah, it's crazy. Because like I have, I had never seen myocarditis or pericarditis in my entire career until this happened. I know. Well, that's person, interesting to note. You would be someone that could say that because you're yeah, on the front lines there. I I know of one kid that got myocarditis from COVID. 
Um, and I know a lot of people go, oh, it was a jab. It's like, well, this kid wasn't vaccinated and they got COVID and they got myocarditis because it's a, that's where you typically expect to see it is a viral infection that gets into your heart. And, um, I think she's like a, a buddy of mine's daughter. She's like 13, I think. Um, she's not that age. But when uh, when he had reached out and said, like, yeah, we got these four kids. Like, this is in the span of a couple weeks in a city of 80,000 people split between two ambulance crews. And these are the cases that are bad enough to, for the parents to call 911 to transport their kids to the hospital by ambulance. If you like the odds of that happening are one in a bajillion, right? Like, that's a not a that's not a big population size and they have four instances in a span of a few weeks that are bad enough that the same two ambulance crews take them that means that's there's more right um and that was right when the trucks left to go to ottawa so i started packing the jeep because like i'm going to go to ottawa and because i haven't heard anyone talk about this like john campbell had talked about it a little bit he had kyle warner on the mountain biker who got pericarditis. Yep. Um, and he was the only person I saw that talk about it. And it's like, um, I'm going to go to Ottawa and I'm going to tell people. And, and you're talking about I, with the convoy, the truck. Yeah. Convoy. With the convoy. Yep. Um, I got in touch with my buddy in New Brunswick. I, and like, I was, I was sick as a dog at this point, man. And like, uh, it took me a week to basically kind of like get ready, rest up, pack the Jeep and stuff. Like I would go to town, go to like, Canadian Tire and pick up like a couple things and like I'd come home and I'd have to like sleep the rest of the day because I'd be so burnt out and exhausted and wow um I uh I um I did I eventually set out and um so I live in the north eastern section of Nova Scotia well okay. it's public knowledge I live in Antigonish it's fine I won't give yeah, you okay. my exact house address but it's public knowledge I live in Antigonish Nova Scotia um which is about four or five hours from like the quebec border maybe e6 um but like the first day like i was only able to get to like moncton um because like i would drive for maybe like an hour and then i'd have to pull over and rest because i'd be too tired and then just kind of like creeping along and it's you know february january february in canada you know what the roads are like oh, even yeah. having a jeep yeah it was a nightmare and um, I stayed at his place overnight and just to kind of recoup and then set out again the next day and got as far as Edmonton, uh, like, which is right on the Quebec border. And you weren't allowed to stop anywhere and go in and have anything to eat or rest because, you know, I got one shot, so you don't count. So you'd have to, like, you spent all your time in the vehicle. I got there as far as there. And it's just chest pain and shortness of breath was just so bad to the point where it's like this if i go any further like if i go the whole way and stay be out in the cold standing like for a couple days because i was gonna go for those gonna go for like the weekend like the, the goal was to go for the weekend find viva talk to him and then then head back it's like if i do this it's gonna kill me and so i called my buddy and it's like it stayed at his place and like it's like i can't do it i'm not physically able to do it i'll have to i'll, I'll find another way and I remember his uh, his mom and dad were over, um, had come over like the next day, and they'd taken him and his wife and his son out for breakfast. And his mom and dad invited me out for breakfast, and they're like, "I'm not allowed to go." 
and they're like, what do you mean you're not allowed to go? It's like, well, I have one shot. He's like, like, oh, fuck's sake. I was like, and then like, and then that's when it kind of like clicked with them. It's like this is this is wrong. Like, why is this happening? By the way, like after everything you're going, like she's like looking at me and like she's not a nurse or anything. She's like, I can tell how sick you are. Like you're pale as a ghost. You look, you look ill, and like, um, like this is this is and like that's then then like his parents were starting to get angry and it kind of like jarred them away because like people a lot of people didn't realize like like the effects of like these mandates and stuff were having on people until they met somebody that it affected. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember. Yeah. And then um, anyways, I made my way back home. I, I uh, kind of debunked some of the myths around the convoy for like Carol Benjamin and the other guys at the Lotus Eaters podcast. Cause like, I remember they were saying like that the trucks were blocking ambulances from getting to like the hospital and the children's hospital. It's like, this is nonsense. They're blocking off. And if you know, Ottawa, the hospitals on the other end of the city like yeah exactly it's nowhere yeah. near and they kept lanes open because yeah a trucker if anyone's gonna help you like like make sure the traffic's going good it's gonna be the truckers man like they're awesome people yeah and um then uh james top started marching and i spoke as part of the canada marches panel that was in ottawa i spoke um i was one of the virtual people who spoke about what happened to me and I remember um, Ken. I can't think of his last name right now. He's he's one of the commissioners on the uh, for the NCI, but he had uh, he had made a comment. He was talking about like the the odds of certain things happening. Like like you're more likely to you know get run over by a bulldozer in um, than you are to die of COVID if you're young and healthy. And I, he made made that joke because he had went through like all like the statistics and stuff. And I, I, uh, I made the comment like when I spoke, like because it was after him, and it was like me, uh, Alex Cabana, uh, Chris Deering, if you know who those guys are. Yep. Um. And uh, I said, in my entire career, um, I have never seen anyone with myocarditis. But I have responded to somebody who's for a kid who's been run over by an excavator. That since changed, because now we're seeing it all the time. And so, if I if I have prior to COVID, if I've seen more people get run over by an excavator than I've seen myocarditis, then I think we've got a fucking problem. Yeah, no if shit. That's, if that's been flipped, yeah, suddenly. Right? Uh, corresponding with a very interesting date of rolling out a brand new experimental technology. Yeah. So the IWK, which is the um, Children's Hospital in Halifax, they would typically see in the emergency room somewhere between two to five cases of myocarditis in a year, thereabouts. Um, which is, and it's typically um, typically viral myocarditis or whatever virus it could be. It could be anything, COVID, flu, whatever. Um, but it's very rare. Um, they went from seeing two to five a year to seeing 27 in six weeks. Jeez. I think it's 27. It's, uh, I, might, I might have that number off a little bit, but it's like 20 some. Drastically more. Drastically yeah. more. Um, but yeah, I started blowing the whistle pretty hard. Um, after that, like I went, I met Steve Kerr, spoke with him, told him what was happening in EMS. Um, cause I had learned and I was learning that colleagues and I were injured. Um, um, 
of a new bunch of guys in the forces that injured my whistleblower who has about 36 people under his command. Um, a third of them were injured with myocarditis, blood clots, anaphylactic reactions, uh, including my whistleblower himself. Um, and it's all been, it was all blown off by uh, the medical professionals, both the docs on the base and stuff. And uh, so what happened is they got, they all, they all got mandated or ordered to take their first shot. And then in their particular case, um, oh, excuse me, uh, the doc prescribed them all a bunch of Motrin and stuff. Like, you got to take this leading up to the shot and thereafter because Motrin's an anti-inflammatory because they were anticipating that something was going to happen. And so they were all prescribed this and given a direct order to take shot number two. And uh, two of the ladies in that unit um, were allergic to polyethylene glycol which is part of the vaccine is what the mRNA and stuff is suspended in, right? And um, they're like, we're, we're allergic to this stuff. Like, we can't take it. And their medical exemption was denied. Um, and they were given a direct order to take it. Had anaphylactic reactions, landed in the hospital, applied for medical exemption again, and uh, was denied and told to take half shots, which is dumb anyway. Uh, half like, shots? Yeah, I never half heard a shot. of this. Yeah, what it's like nonsense. Like, <laughs> it's like you're allergic to peanut butter. Just eat half a sandwich. It is... What the hell? These and, are the and, anyways, and then now, right? landed in the emergency room again with anaphylaxis. Uh, one of them um, uh, had to take the the booster shot because they just kept slamming the stuff into Canadian forces members, and um, he. Uh, he went into uh, he went to a full body seizure right after the shot, and then proceeded to go into convulsions when he came out of the seizure, just like like tremble and stuff. And um, uh, the officer, the whistleblower, took him in to right away to the the emergency the base, and it's like so. I see the dog. It's like this just happened like right after he had a shot. And he goes, "Oh, that's just normal." And it's like, "No, it's not. He just had a seizure and he's had convulsions." Like. This is not normal. It's not normal, like, to begin with. Like, a seizure is a medical emergency. Yeah. It's like, what if you, and like, he said, like, what if, what if you've been driving his kids home from school and had a seizure behind the wheel? Like, like, this is, this is pretty serious. And it's just blown off. And like, and then this guy went from like being able to like, doing like a 16 kilometer ruck march, no problem, like every other day. And, to not being able to walk to the end of his driveway because he developed myocarditis as well. It's like, oh my god, this is, this is disgusting. Yeah. Um, and like, and like they were seen repeatedly. And the worst thing is, is if you're in the forces, you have to see the the army doc. You don't have a choice to go outside. It's that's that's what you. This is who you have to work with. And they just they're like, nope, nothing's happening. It's like all these guys have like myocarditis uh, blood clots one of them one of them got medically discharged from the forces because he's got blood clots in his legs now like that's unbelievable and uh and like as time kind of wore on like um i got that summer last summer i got to sit and meet uh james top uh i sent you a picture of him and i we, we talked yeah. for we talked for quite a long time um He's a great you know, man. I was, he's I was a great man. To be able to interview him a few times. Yeah. yeah, it's a you know you've done something right when James Top comes looking for you because he wants to talk to you. Yeah. Um. So he sought me out when he was here in Nova Scotia, and 
we talked at great length. There's a recorded in- interview between me and James where I tell him everything. I talk about everything I know about having in the forces and stuff. And um, but we never put it up because James wanted to wants to fly under the radar because his trial comes in November. And he's just he's just he wants a break. And it's like, and I'm going to respect that. So it stays. Yeah. It'll stay tucked away unless James ever wants it out. But I did it. It was great. It was a great conversation. He's a phenomenal man. Um, scared the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah, but sure. um, yeah. Um, and after that, I was um, I was recruited for the National Citizens Inquiry by uh, Dr. Laura Braden and David Ross, and I helped set that up. And uh, like, I got Viva to testify and. Um, I've since become pretty good friends with him too. He's a great guy. Um, uh, talking to his and his brother does like stuff with like like advocating for like vaccine injury and stuff. And, okay. Uh, what do you think that. about that National Citizens Inquiry? Um, I think all of us Canadians that are have been following this and everybody listening right now is listening to your story and no doubt that either for themselves or people they know that have suffered from this, they're feeling it right and. We all saw what went down with the truckers where the, the yeah. government showed its true totalitarian side. Um, everybody feels like the inquiry into the convoy. I thought there was a lot of great testimony that got put on oh, the yeah. record, but in the end, what happened? Especially Jeremy, that one made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. <laughs> they even had the veteran. The, yeah, the like I'm one veterans. of those, those scary people too. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Scary people. Um, that that's That's the thing is, people are getting pretty blackpilled right now because of this, um, where they feel like, okay, we tried the, we tried the most peaceful protest in history in Canada, uh, that ever existed. And it got branded as domestic terrorism. And there's still guys in prison without charges pressed against them. Um, we saw yeah, the inquiry happen. Cocaine yeah, addicted we... time traveling goat. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you got the Coots boys and the whole thing, right? And then you had the inquiry, which people thought was a circus. Then you had the National Citizens Inquiry, which people are like, is this going to get anywhere? Is it going to do anything? Is it going to have any effect? You know, and so what it, do you think about that? Are any of these things we're doing working at all? Is it, is it a positive? What do you think? I, I think so. Um, so what, let's start with the trucker convoy. That sure. had an in, impact worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, it woke people up, um, and talking with like, uh, as I mentioned, like Adam Krigler and Carl Benjamin and like those guys, like they were, they were, they were absolutely inspired. Like the podcast Lotus Eaters, they covered it. They covered the trucker convoy pretty extensively actually over in the UK. Um, and like it, it inspired things around the world and, um, it's, I think it really shows something about the people in this country that um, and I'm, I'm stealing words from Jeremy McKenzie here, but when there is a great wrong that's happening in the world, Canadians show up. Yeah. Um, it inspired people around the world. And it showed, it showed the true colors of this government, um, and 
the same thing has happened with the NCI, like the National Citizens Inquiry. It's not only it's been inspiring for a lot of people, like um, like the the biggest thing that it did, like in immediate sense, was it gave people a place to feel where they were comfortable, where they could talk, to share their story, and they could be listened to. Um, and I also point out, Chet, sorry to jump on it. I'm yeah, sorry, go ahead. This is huge. Is that and I was having this discussion with another friend of mine who, you know, was feeling a bit upset about it and I get it. Um, but I say, look, first of all, I get emails from all over the world from people still that tell me that the truckers saved their life, that like, they're not even Canadian. They just needed to see something like that. They, that they think about the timing. If you, I'm sure you remember, and people listening, you remember that time Ooh. right before the trucks went to Ottawa was a very dark time. And the suicide rates were starting to really skyrocket. They already were going, but they were getting really bad at that time. Yes. And I know I've had people tell me to my face in tears when I went down. I was in BC. I went to the ledge in BC every week for months, um, going to support it there because there was truckers out here coming around the legislation in British Columbia doing this. And I remember just listening to person after person in tears telling me, I was there. I was there in my mind where I was thinking, what's the point? There's no point. They, I, and like you said, nobody really was understanding how bad it was, these restrictions and everything was going on, how it was destroying people's lives, how they lost people, et cetera. And so the suicide was such, and the mental condition was so brutal that just seeing those trucks driving down the highway and seeing Canadians of every background, of every age, flooding the highways and the overpasses with just smiling faces, man. I'm still getting yeah. weepy thinking about it. It gave hope. It gave me hope. It gave me same. hope again in my country because I thought, man, we're totally just completely fucked. Yeah. And then it went, there's no, man, there's room. still a good heart beating here in this country, right? Yeah. And, and and it inspired others. So I just wanted to add credence to what you're saying, but please continue. Yeah, and it and <laughs> it it uh it led to some really fun ways to mock the government too. Like oh, it's, yeah. it's the memes so good. Come on. Oh yeah. But, um, it's, uh, cause and I didn't talk about this earlier, but like when I got injured and I talked about it to people, like all my friends jump ship, like, like all my old friends, I have like, handful, maybe, Two or three that still talk to me. I don't know. Everyone else thinks I'm crazy, or wow. they called me a white supremacist, a neo-Nazi, and whatnot. And... Jesus Christ! Really? Oh yeah, man. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I had, like I had one friend. I told him, "It's like, man, I got really sick from this thing." And like he's like, "How dare you like not take a second shot? You, you of all people, you work in healthcare. Like you're putting people's lives at risk. You're gonna kill me." It's like, dude, the thing almost fucking killed me. Yeah. My like, life it, is permanently it, altered because of one jab. Yeah, like it almost killed me. <laughs> like, um, wow. And just they they stopped talking to me. And like, I had one friend that I had reached out to. And it's like, oh, this is like who was like my best friend, one of my best friends for like at least 15 years. And I just reached out and said, like, look, this is what's happened. I've gotten really sick. And if something happens, I need, I want somebody like in my friend group to know what I want if this goes sideways. Like that we're not here tomorrow. Yeah. And they stopped talking to me. I haven't spoken to me in two years. Thereabouts. Wow. 
the level no, of, it's about no a year and a half now yeah oh uh, yeah it's like no they just now you're done they just haven't spoken since well i broadcast for a living man my my face is everywhere i've, I've lost so many people i'm with you yeah. too but you know what let me ask you this yeah you've probably gained some great friends in, in the process as yes, well i have um i think i'm um made a lot of friends like um after the convoy um as part of james Ta as guys on camera marks thing actually give me one second i'll show you something very cool oh sure please I, I just can't reach from here one second okay cool yeah this is incredible the amount of stories like this that i've still heard um and and from doctors nurses paramedics police officers firefighters veterans you wouldn't believe it oh what's this that there oh, is the flag yeah. signed by james top and company that was given to me as a thank you and these oh are, wow that's a list of some of my friends um some You're of the in good other, company man you're in good company nefarious friends are also <laughs> with this flag the nefarious friends <laughs> oh my god who knew that but a yeah. diagonal stripe would cause so much it's the funniest uh, thing I've ever been a part of. Oh my God. It's funny. It's so funny. Like if you know, like, like the inner workings of like the lore of Diagalon and how scary and this ridiculous it is, it, it just gets funnier and funnier. Like I'm, I'm very good friends with Morgan Guptal, like Jeremy McKenzie's girlfriend. Yeah. I'm friends with Jeremy and I've become friends with Jeremy too, but <laughs> it's, it's like if you took fight club made a spoof of it and instead of fighting it was using simpsons memes to make fun of the government <laughs> that's yeah. that's it's that's and like and instead of like you know uh the like the narrator waking up and seeing a video of him realizing that he's like tyler durden punching himself in the face it's 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 secretly jeremy running around in a goat costume wearing a jetpack <laughs> yeah exactly the dumbest thing in the world it's so funny <laughs> Well, and that's what they did to, this is what people are noticing is this trend of demonization going on. And it started in the academic community. I had uh, Dr. Charles Hoff from British Columbia on my show. I've had Danny Bulford on. I've had many, you know, um, from Mounties for Freedom, those guys. Yeah. And, you know, just seeing the demonization that's happened, even within the medical community. And then you see the way the media reacted to the truckers. They're just Nazi homophobic. You heard what Trudeau said, which really instigated the whole thing. Um, yeah, and, he's fully um, responsible. I think it was and the then, British Medical Journal said that the National Citizens Inquiry was a bunch of disinformation and uh, lies and anti-vax and stuff. And it's like, no, it's people who lost their jobs and you know, yeah. like dozens and dozens of vaccine injured people. Like if you, if you, like I, I even being part of it, I couldn't sit and watch the whole thing because it broke my heart. Right. Like there was one day where I like there was one day in Truro where we there uh like i had kathy jones from sarah I mean, it's like sobbing on my shoulder like like i never thought in my lifetime that i would like i would have kathy jones like crying on my shoulder because of what was happening like no kidding yeah it's but to, to and these are all people that were pro-vaccine they were pro the system they were in it they were working mm -hmm. in there and then they're just coming back to say yeah this is what happened to me yeah and, and like, they're labeled as being just anti-science and all the nonsense well, you're, you're not allowed to exist right because then yeah. the whole then the whole thing falls apart and i've i've heard a lot of people go on about like oh it's 
people who got vaccinated. This is all their fault. It's like, no, man, these are these people who are victimized too. Like, they got most people who got their backs put against the wall, and like, they were either because they were scared, they wanted to to help, because most people when there's a bad situation, they if you say like, hey, can you help? Most people go, yeah, man. What do you need to do? What do you need me yeah. to do? I like that's, that's most people are good, and they and they they want to help when there's a when there's a problem um or um they they were threatened in one way or another like you're going to lose your livelihood like it's it's when it comes to like being able to provide for your kids and stuff right like it's like do this or you can't feed your family it's like what do you do like well and even the narrative think about this they i've been saying this for a while they've sort of weaponized your human virtue against you this is exactly how propaganda works and we see this in many different periods of history when totalitarianism starts to creep into a society is that that's how the propaganda works is it uses um, something use about you good that's good. Against them. Yeah, it's against you. So it, think about it. Most people took these jabs if it wasn't coercion, okay? If they were just like, oh, I, I, I trust the government and the medical system, right? And I'll yeah. just do what I'm told because I want to help. They were doing it because they cared about their loved ones. That's the When I talk yeah, to most was, people that regret it, they say I was doing it because I was told that I would be protecting my grandmother or my this, this child that I have that's immunocompromised or whatever. That was the main driving force. Exactly. But they were given they targeted people's sense of duty. That's right. That's right. And there is nothing wrong with having a sense of duty. No. The the nefarious thing is for people to weaponize it against you. Agreed. Like, and that's that's, that's that's insidious. It's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. And our side needs to have some empathy on that because it's yeah. easy to also get into two extremes and start going, they're all the baddies. We're all the, because I get it. We were called the baddies, the people questioning it, but it's not about that. Let's get to the real baddies, the people responsible. Yeah. The for people who did this lie. Like I, 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 and I've said this numerous times, like I can, I can forgive people for being scared. Like that's, yeah. that's a regular human emotion and look what it's done. Them. I, can, I can forgive that pretty easy. You just, just acknowledge it and, we can be right as rain and that's an that's an maybe not that's not the same for everybody but it is for me like the the nurse who you know vaccinated me i don't care i don't feel any any anger or ill feelings towards her she was working on the same information that i had right trying yeah. to do the best thing you can trying to advocate for patients and stuff and um but then like i've had like had people like and i don't like describing it's like like on this side of the aisle like say like i'm 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 the problem and I'm the villain. And it's like, no, no, I'm not. I was trying to go back to work to try to, you know, help this whole situation, try to, you know, because so cooler heads would prevail, if you will. Um, but here we are. Um, well, people need someone to blame. And unfortunately, they, the arrows get shot the, everywhere. And then the people that actually are to blame just kind of keep laughing their way to the bank the whole time in the background. Exactly. And it makes the people like who are in, like who got the worst of it? Like I'm doing pretty good now, actually. Comparatively, yeah, I was going to ask you how's the, how's it been going since all this. Oh, uh, we're not out of the woods yet, but we can see the sky the sky through the canopy. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, it's been a long two years, but um, um, intermittent fasting, natokinase, and a few other things, um, which particular things that Dr. Peter McCullough has been talking about. Like I'm going to butcher this, like bromelain, bromelain. It's there's mm. a few other supplements and extract type stuff and medications have been helpful um just to try to get like the inflammatory issues to calm down and um 
there's a lot of conditioning that needs to happen again. I used to be in great shape and we're not there anymore, but um, I'm a lot better. Um, Good to like hear. I don't have any, I'm not short of breath right now. I don't have any chest pain. Uh, like I might, when, probably when I go to bed tonight, it'll be, it'll be there a little bit and I'm, I'm not going to go run or start bench pressing a whole bunch of stuff, but we're working on it. Like, but you're um, seeing improvement. That's the key. Oh God. Yeah. Dude. Okay. I went from like being in bed all day to being able to like go for like a five or six kilometer walk every other night. So, and um, sorry, I know this is kind of personal, but it's just my general concern. Yeah, go, ask me things going. Cause I know you were, you weren't able to complete your treatment for PTSD. Um, and that must've been brutal. Where are you at in that regard these days? Um, it's pretty, it, like I have it under control. Um, my PTSD is an odd duck because it's not like bad 911 call PTSD. I have complex PTSD from a bunch of stuff that happened with like being targeted by members of management and stuff like that. Like her basically like harassment campaigns, making sure I didn't get like there's points where they made sure I didn't get paid and stuff like oh my God. There's a lot of fuckery that really fucked with my life. And I basically almost ended up homeless with a full-time job because of, yeah, it's, this is a, I will, I will tell you that story another time. It's, we don't have yeah, enough time yeah. today. It's long. No, it's I understand. Crazy. Yeah. But like I could, if like, if my, I still got to work on like my physical health a little bit, but like, um, I, I could run a 911 call. No problem. It's just there's some other issues like that I that need working on, but like it's clinical and blood and guts and all that. It wouldn't be an issue. Um, it was never the issue to begin with. It's it's everything else because yeah. what PTSD tends to come from is um, it's not always the source of the trauma. It's the response that you receive after it. So let's mm -hmm. say you encounter something horrible. Um, I don't know, you, let's, uh, we'll say like somebody comes across a bad car accident or something. It's really traumatic and something, um, normally your brain can, you'll go into fight or flight mode and your brain can, will go into that to protect you. And then you'll kind of work through it and process it, kind of come to terms with it and come back down and everything, your nervous system will ease off and your level up back down to zero. What happens with a lot of times in PTSD is either you have a, you have a source of trauma, and it's either repeated exposure and rapid succession, or um, say for instance like combat veterans, uh, first responders will make it like a chain of bad calls in a row or something, or you have those types of things, or something that's like say in like a sexually abusive relationship or something like that. Where it's mm. constant like uh, traumatic events, um, uh, or when you go to try to deal with those things to process them and ask for help and stuff and you're met with shame or hostility or disbelief so that um your your mind has to go on the defensive again it just it basically keeps putting you up flicking that switch and putting you back in that position like back on your feeling you're having your back put against the wall and eventually that like you can keep flicking that switch and eventually it gets stuck on and right. that's kind of what that's PTSD is yeah. And it's it's like so you like you see like like vets who come back from like Afghanistan or Iraq and stuff. They have all this experience this terrible stuff and they come back and then they ask for like help for like some therapy or maybe like a guy like is an amputee and is going through veterans affairs to try to 
gets some help, and then uh, Veterans Affairs just fucks with them, cancels their, says no, we can't do that for you. Just, just puts them in a position where they have to be on the defensive again, like when they're trying to process this, and they don't get to go through that natural progression. And then that's, and that's that's one of the reasons why you see so many guys like with vets with PTSD, like in my case, and I'll. Um, at the, the last call I did was pretty bad. Uh, I was involved the death of a 17 year old girl. And afterwards, like my partner, uh, I won't say his name, uh, had PTSD from doing a bunch of bad kid calls, uh, and had just come back and like needed help after this call. And it was to be clear. And I had some other issues dealing with management and stuff. And on a very heightened stress level, I went, it's like, we need to debrief after this because my partner's not okay. And a bunch of things went wrong. Like we had equipment failures and all this stuff on this call and we need to talk about it. And then my employer is like, no, we're not going to do that. And like, that was like everything kind of added up. And then that was a switch. Like, you're not going to help my partner. And then it's just bang here. I'm and now I'm in the same boat. Oh my God. Because they're like, well, the, the fire department did a debrief the other day. And it's like, well, we're not on that fire department, are we? <laughs> like, you didn't even tell us. Like, you motherfuckers. Yeah. Um, so it's just that there's problems within the system aside from all the COVID shit, dude, too. Like, it's so bad. Yeah. Um, since the start of the pandemic in Nova Scotia, a quarter of the paramedics have left the workforce. We have lost uh, from 2019. 2020, 2021, and actually, yeah, pull it up for you. Write down. Uh, in the last three years, not counting this year, so 2020 to 2022, we've lost 331 paramedics in Nova Scotia that have left. Wow. We it's a quarter of us. Wow. Um, ambulance response times have gone from they're supposed to be they're mandated supposed to be like 20 minutes or less in most, um, like uh areas like like rural. Uh, not not so much rural areas, but like res like residential and like urban areas. It should be twenty minutes or less. And now we've got response times that are like in the hours. Hours like we have. Like, would you say sorry? Would you say those three hundred plus that have left? That's got to be a range of issues. Does that also include yeah. obviously those that declined the vaccine or were damaged by the vaccine? Um, certainly there would be some of that. Um, a According to the numbers that I have, um, and I'm not counted on this because I was off work. Like I, I lost my job because I wouldn't take it, and I can't go back to work because it's still mandated. So I, I lost my job uh, back in December of last year, and um, but there was only four people that I know that were put on leave with the ambulance service I work for. Um, I don't know how many quit because they wouldn't take it. Um, probably a fair number. Uh, a lot of them have just so frustrated with everything and have just burnt out, don't want to do it anymore. Some are injured. Um, and this, like, you're not going to find this officially reported anywhere, but like talking to like one of the girls at the NCI and her, her partner's a paramedic as well. 12 of us are dead in the last year. Uh, you'll typically lose like maybe like one, one or two, maybe three people in a year. Because, you know, bad things happen. Sometimes people get cancer. Sometimes people have heart attacks. Sometimes, unfortunately, in my line of work, sometimes people commit suicide. There's certainly enough of that. Yeah. Um, but to have 12 of us die in a year is unheard of. That's 1% of the paramedics in Nova Scotia died last year. 
whether whether that's vaccine related or not, I don't know. I'm certain it may have played a role. I don't know for sure, but that should have you that should send off alarm bells right away that something happened. Like, like even if even if like some of these guys are killing themselves, like that should that should be, that should be very concerning. Yeah, it's definitely enough like, of a signal to be like, what's yeah, happening? And then when you compare it, that's just Nova Scotia, right? You start comparing it across the country. Then you talk to people in other countries. Then you talk to some of these undertakers and guys that run funeral homes. Oh, dude, it's and crazy. they're talking about, there's there's a bunch of them talking about it where they're saying, yeah, all-cause mortality, we're busy. And they're also talking about how it's relative to the rollout of these jabs and other things. Oh, yeah. Um, Volume has gone up considerably. Yeah, yeah, it has. Um, and like call volume was going up beforehand. Like when I went off work, um, we would on a normal day, um, like we would typically do four to five hundred nine one one calls for the province in a twenty four hour period. Uh, that was a normal day. Uh, when I just when I was going off work, uh, it had almost doubled, and it's gone up since. So it's like. 700 plus I don't one calls a day um and we run I see ambulances place. driving by my place all the time and I live in a small little town outside oh, dude, of major it's crazy place, and it's like and just, all the time yeah yeah and it and the, the the worst is too is like like guys can't get like everyone's going in forced overtime there's no people aren't getting like their vacation days off like they're canceling uh, shift shift changes in the roster and like it's it's causing burnout. Um, so people are leaving, which has an effect on like morale, which has an effect on patient care and which, you know, makes, it's just a big spiral and it's just getting worse. And, um, like I went, there was, um, uh, the premier and the health minister and the president of Nova Scotia health. And I think they had like a couple doctors with them as well. They were going around the Mar uh, around Nova Scotia, uh, say in January, and in the f and maybe in like December, November, December to January, uh, uh, to do like Q and A's and like, hey, how are we gonna work on the healthcare system? Because you know it's falling apart. We've got emergency rooms shutting down all the time. And um, Morgan and I went to one in Pictou County. Um, and like Morgan got up and asked the questions like, when are you going to lift these mandates and stuff? And the, the, they totally blew her off, wouldn't answer her question and stuff. They wouldn't, they wouldn't even take my question because like I had submitted it online initially and then went. I remember uh, one of the guys there, he's like, how could they avoid you? Like you're like, you're the exact example of how this has gone sideways. You're yeah healthcare professional who's trying to go back to work who's been fired and has been vaccine injured. Like, and, but anyways, I like, right after it was over, I went, I went right up to Michelle Thompson, who's the health minister. And she knows me because we're from the same town. Um, she knows me because I'm a par paramedic here and she, uh, she, she's a nurse here and it's like, she's worked with my dad and stuff. So she knows me in that regard. And it's like, look, here's the situation. I got fired by EHS. I'm not allowed to go back to work. And the damn thing gave me pericarditis. Didn't use those exact words. It was a little more eloquently and polite than that. Um, when is this going to change? Like, like, 
I'm not, and I'm not the only one. And it's just, you just watch the eyes glaze over and it's like, that's the policy we're sticking with policy. Wow. And like one of the, do- like and like one of the computer response. Yeah. It's, and it's like, you, you know me. Yeah. You know who I am. Um, and like, there was one of the docs that was there. Cause I, cause I meet Morgan confronted like the president of Nova Scotia health. And, um, and I explained to her too, like, this is what's happened. This is what happened to me. Like, I have pericarditis. And you know, she's like, well, you're just going to take that up with your employer and blah, blah, blah. And like, um, one of the docs was like, yeah, and like, we, we know that like it, it's like a one in 5,000 chance of like causing for like the Moderna one for causing for like young men to have like myocarditis. Say that again. One in 5,000 chance to have myocarditis. That's a lot. A lot. Yeah. You vaccinated billions of people. And we know that's also probably underestimating a lot of the yeah, reality. We, of um, we, uh, they have confirmed that 15 people, this is confirmed, admitted by the government that 15 people have died from it. And I've got hundreds of injuries. Mine has never been counted. Um, and, uh, I don't know if you saw the picture that's going around. Um, it's, uh, uh, Viva shared it the other day. I had sent it to him, but it's, uh, it's from, it's a picture of the front doors of the Victoria General Hospital in Halifax. And it's, it's, um, it's, there's a little signpost there. It's a government of Canada sign, uh, to the vaccine injury support program and how to register your injury. And that's right on the front doors of the hospital now. It's like, well, you know, and, but they're still talking. denying that there's any, the way the media is talking about it. And like I was telling you off air, like we, I live in BC, so we're dealing with Bonnie Henry and also that chick from Alberta that transferred to help her over here, which is crazy. Um, yeah. I can't remember oh, her name. You know, the psycho chick with the gonna, straight hair. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, anyways. It, it gets worse than that. I'm going to read you something here. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Um, so a friend of uh, a friend of uh, Morgan and I, his name is Paul Westhaver. He's been, uh, he's been one of the lead witnesses in like uh, Jeremy and Morgan's case against like the health minister and stuff, or, or the health, chief health officer, Dr. Robert Strang. I don't know if you've been following that at all, but he's has like all like the freedom of information uh requests and has like all their emails and stuff and so like they they knew and they admitted that they like we've got emails saying like oh yeah we knew back in january 2021 how old this this that this might be but um paul took a look into the vaccine injury uh support program like and who has their website registered um and it is registered it's not it's not a government website it's registered through raymond uh I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Raymond Chabot or Chabot Grant Thornton, which is a, um, oh my God, what? So this is, you're talking. They're an accounting, they're an accounting firm. So the vaccine injury okay. support program goes through an accounting firm which means that they're not under the same uh, requirements to provide information if you do a freedom of information request. So it's much harder to get like all the data that they've been collecting. Um, And (laughs) they're just, they're being paid by the federal government to collect the data and pay people out. And so all this stuff is hidden behind the wall so they can just bury it at the bottom of the ocean 
unless you go it's like jump through a bunch of legal hurdles and stuff so they're they're trying to cover it up and this this that that website like launched like right after these things rolled out because they either knew a problem was coming or they noticed there's a problem very quickly it's like you fucking wow bastards. incredible i didn't know about that so yeah so yeah that, oh, we just we just learned that like it. i learned yeah. that like yesterday it's it's unbelievable man and so this is so and we're seeing these indications okay i've had some very interesting people on the show over the last few years and when you put all the data together and i don't know everybody's looking into it the uh indications are actually we just had uh senator oh my god brain fart oh. he he's in the states and he john john ron johnson right ron johnson yeah he just came out and basically said straight up on fox news that the whole thing was planned and we know it we have the evidence like he's talking about eventual so. one he's getting into all that but you know you've got people all over the world collecting this kind of data and trying to cover it and they are we're, we're at a point now where we're basically like okay this was known beforehand that this was coming but they didn't give us the proper warning this was known that it was artificially created whatever this thing was this was known that the lockdowns the quarantines all the effect the, the mask wouldn't work it was even the six feet apart was an arbitrary number right it wasn't yeah, based on any science um so many of these elements are coming out to show that just the policies were, just were wrong but that, it was no. how dumb that six feet thing is it's like let's let's pretend for a second you and i are in a shop and we're six feet right. apart right and i cough and i'm in the line ahead of you and i cough and say i have COVID, and it aerosolized and it's sitting there in the air i move forward in the line you move into my cloud of stuff yeah and sneeze particles can go 12 17 feet like we don't oh it's they can all, go like 30 no. 40 feet yeah it, they come out of your face like 120 kilometers an hour or something it's exactly ridiculous. so it's but like yeah. that argument's mute for them and then then yeah. the final pin cushion here is that we've got the internal pfizer data that was had to come out because of court order otherwise yeah, they would have made everybody wait 75 years right so like every action that we're seeing by either the pharmaceutical companies and the government who remember they got that nice little pass the ball pass the torch back and forth where you go to the government and they're like no it, that's policy coming from the private corporations or you go to the private corporations they're like no that's the government mandates and all this is coming out to show that they knew that this was going to cause damage and that they covered it up and now that it is causing damage and we're seeing the evidence of it, like how many athletes have you seen in your lifetime prior to this dropping dead in the pitch in their prime? Yet look at the numbers now. Kirsch and others Crazy. have been documenting that, right? Yeah, I have. And um, you go, well, they knew, they knew what they were too. doing. Yeah. It's, it's unsettling the read. He testified at the NCI too, Edward Dowd. That, oh, yeah, Edward Dowd. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it's just so <laughs> the more you put it out, the more you put it all together, the more you realize there is no innocent explanation to any of this. No, there Maybe isn't. on behalf of people, like we're, we're talking at the, at the government and higher levels. Yeah. The, 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 the lower you get down towards you and I, yeah, like the less guilt is, it's like some people were just trying to do the right thing and we're, we're fed the wrong information and stuff. And they were operating like, I, like I've seen people like shit on like people like uh, Dr. Sean Campbell saying like, Oh, well he, he talked about the benefits of the vaccine and stuff. It's like, yeah, because that's the only information he had to work off of. And they did a really good job of lying. <laughs> like yeah. 
Like I, and I many have changed their opinions. Like yeah, as soon as he had, as soon as he had, and I was of the opinion that there was going to be some benefit to it. And if if it did what it said it what did on the tin, and the the side effects were what they told us, it, yeah, that wouldn't have been so bad. But that's not what you got yeah. at all. Um, the other thing that's worth pointing out, because this is one of the things I learned, and this is kind of like I was had concerns because like I knew that there was something wrong and the suspicion that it came out of the lab and that it was man-made. So that's why I was kind of like, hey, we should probably pay attention to this. Um, but I remember one of the first things I learned like very early on, and I had sent this to like Tim Poole and those guys is um, uh, in the summer of 2019, like the Chinese spies got arrested in Winnipeg at the level four lab there. Right, I remember this. Because they were sending stuff and I don't know what they sent. They were sending stuff to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And that was like one of the first, like I learned that in like spring of 2020. And um, that story is buried pretty deep now. But there was like that. And then just like, like you look, if you looked at like some of like the reporting on like what was happening with the lab and like how all of a sudden like there was like a span of two weeks where there was no like cellular signal at that lab whatsoever because nobody went in there. So like basically just deconned it and let it burn itself out kind of idea. Um, yeah, it's unbelievable. And then um, when I was working with the NCI, um, like I testified on the first day, but in the evenings I would, uh, I would go out for supper with um, the, uh, the commissioners and we would talk uh pretty extensively every night i like i my testimony is like 20 minutes long but then like i filled them in on everything else that i knew afterwards and gave them a whole bunch of documentation stuff from like ambulance new brunswick and stuff from nova scotia and um i'll, I'll talk about those in a sec but um one of them was one of the guys was telling me that like there was like members of our like like provincial government i forget which guy it was i if i could remember i would tell you but um because who like said like i don't want to go along with these mandates like this 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 doesn't seem right to me i'm not comfortable with this i don't want to push this on people and when, as soon as he said that guys in black suits showed up his home and threatened his wife and children said do it or else it's like okay i guess i'll do it like the men in black basically <laughs> yeah men in black showed up at his home oh, shit. and threat and threatened his wow threatened his wife and so like i can i can understand that like that's yeah that's something else like like if like men in black suits from the government like goons from the government showed up and threatened your family like that's like, kgb shit man yeah it's kgb shit um and it's and that that happened it's like that's because that's the thing is either either people were scared whether because they were afraid of the virus or because they're being threatened or they're being bought off. It's, it's gotta be one of those three. Yeah. yeah. Um, or blackmailed or blackmailed. Right. <laughs> I wonder about some of these premiers and whatnot. Right. Oh yeah. Um, well, I learned that, uh, Tim Houston used to work for black, uh, black rock. Like he's in the Panama papers and stuff like, like, uh, that, <laughs> Uh, Paul Westhaver would be somebody good to have come on and talk about all talk about all of that because it's I'll send oh, yeah. you some stuff. It's it's 
It's please. fuel. I gladly, I'll send it to you uh, later this evening. Oh, sure. That'd be but, great. And I'm um, looking for people that know how to break it down. So send me his yeah, information. Paul, yeah. I'll, I'll see if Paul can get in touch with you. It's all, okay. it's wild. And he knows all the stuff. I like the legal stuff with like Morgan and Jeremy. Cause like yeah. it's, it basically boils down to the, the, the premier and the uh, chief medical officer basically had them kidnapped by the RCMP is basically what it boils down to. Uh, oh, it's crazy. Um, but even uh, to talk about like stuff I talked about to the commissioners, like I showed them like, like some of the policies and like the mandate stuff. So like the documentation for the mandatory vaccination for healthcare workers and or anyone in high risk environments in Nova Scotia. And in order to get a medical exemption from the jab, um, you needed to fall. I'll just read it to you here. Sure. One sec. This is great, by the way, chat. People are loving it. Good job today. Good. But I, need uh, as much testimony as possible. And I'm actually glad you got into the inquiry as well. I'm still trying to go through and watch all there's hours for people that are outside of Canada. We've got this national inquiry that has collected hours upon hours upon hours of testimony from a wide range of people in every profession. 300 people. Country. Oh yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, there's 24 days. Yeah of testimony it's it's and it's, it's not even getting wrong. covered at all by the mainstream media pretty much like i wouldn't even hear anything about it the scurrilous rats that work for the media it's funny they they've taken i'll send you this document afterwards but they've since taken this down you can't find it online anymore oh, surprise surprise And there's a lot of stuff like this. There's, okay. So this is so this is from the um, mandatory vaccination thing from the Nova Scotia government. So this is with regards to medical exemption. Uh, so I'm just going to read. I'm going to read to you verbatim what they say here. Sure. Uh, written proof of valid medical contradiction against receiving COVID-19 vaccine provided by either a physician or a nurse practitioner. A physician or nurse practitioner may complete and sign blah, blah, blah. And so here, here's the list of acceptable things. The person cannot be a vaccine against COVID based on one of the following valid medical conditions. A history of severe allergic reaction, for instance, anaphylaxis, after previous administration of a COVID-19 vaccine using a similar platform, mRNA or viral vector. An allergy to any component of a specific COVID-19 vaccine or its container, polyethylene glycol for the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines. A history of major venous or atrial thrombosis or thrombocytopenia, that's blood clots, um, uh, following vaccination with the AstraZeneca vaccine. A history of capillary leak syndrome following vaccination with the AstraZeneca vaccine, so that will cause your blood pressure to plummet because you're basically the liquid of your blood leaks out into your uh, interstitial area. A history of myocarditis and pericarditis after the first dose of mRNA, COVID vaccine, Pfizer or Moderna or experiencing serious adverse event after receiving a first dose of COVID-19 vaccine, a serious adverse event is defined as a life-threatening, requires inpatient hospitalization, or prolongs an existing hospitalization, results in persistent or specific or significant disability, incapacity, or in a congenital anomaly, birth defect, and um, yeah. Do you notice anything that all those have in common? Two things. 
two things I have in common. Oh, is that you're asking me? Uh, yeah. Two things they have in common. Well, the fact that they're admitting that there could be reasons, valid reasons, to not be vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. Let's what are you looking at there? They're all life threatening, and they all require you to take it once. Mm. So there's no medical exemption. Oh, I see. Yeah. So this can kill you, and you don't have a choice. And we're mandated by law, Un by fake law. Well, here's the other thing. You've got this whole situation where in Canada, but also in the States, also in other places in the world, any constitutional protections that would be there for informed consent or anything like that were just thrown under the bus, as were the international laws that if you look at the if you look at I did a thing on just looking at some of the international laws that we were supposed to be upholding to protect people from government or experimentation or whatever that resulted after what happened in Nazi Germany, right? That's where yeah, like the United from. Nations human rights laws supposed to be right. You got your Nuremberg code, which isn't a law, but it's sort of what established them all. Then you had the Rome statute, the ICCPR, you had um, numerous other agreements. I had a list of them. And if you read, I believe it's in the Rome statute specifically that and it's also listed in the Nuremberg Code, if you read the 10 planks, of the Nuremberg Code, that the government has no right to use coercion or psychological pressure to make citizens do something, uh, take a medical product or whatever against their informed consent. And so when we started saying, oh, they're forcing us to take it, and that's why we're protesting, people are like, they're not forcing you, nobody forced you, and the media, nobody forced you. And it's like, okay, if you don't like the word force, although there are stories of people like you brought up who had people visit him and openly threaten him and his family think about coercion then the legal definition of coercion what else is telling people you're going to lose your job you can't have access to society you can't have access to uh government funded facilities and hospitals that your tax yeah, dollars i wasn't allowed for. in the hospital to get my blood work when right my friend was when my friend was dying of cancer i wasn't allowed to see him i never How, got what to is see that him. but not coercion yeah. and where's the informed consent if i'm these still pharmaceutical not allowed to work yeah, if these pharmaceutical companies are going to lock away all their internal data for 75 years and need to be court ordered to release it to the public, where's that? Where You know, like you just get into it and you, you're trying to grab these people and shake them and go, how the hell is this not coercion? And where the hell is the informed consent? You didn't get either of those. Well, you got the, got the coercion. You didn't get informed consent. You no. just believe that you did, but you didn't because look at the state no. of things right now. And in medicine that is not how we behave like if we have a patient yeah. that uh and there's a medication i use a lot as an example so we have a medication on the ambulance and it's used in the emergency room and cardiac floors and stuff but it's called tenecteplase or tnk uh it's or often referred to as a clot as a clot buster drug and what it does is it uh, basically dissolves and breaks up clots uh, in the body, and we use it in patients who are having heart attacks because you get an obstruction in an artery, whether it's a blood clot or like a piece of plaque or something, and then uh, blood flow gets diminished and it starts to clot up, and then it gets get, that blood clot gets worse and worse and worse the longer the heart attack goes on for. Um, and so, what this drug does is it breaks up that blood clot so that you can re restore blood flow to the heart. 
basically to reverse, hopefully reverse the, the, any further effects of the heart attack. It's not going to stop what happened, but it, the damage will happen, but it's going to prevent it from getting worse. But um, because of what this drug does is uh, it dissolves blood clots. So if you have any blood clots in your body, they're gone. So if you had a bad head injury or you had um, bowel surgery or a multitude of any other things that could be going on, um, that your your body has clotted up, that blood clot's going to be let go and you're going to start bleeding. So this that's one way that this thing can kill you. Like if you had like like recent surgery, you had a had a bad fall and bust your head open really bad. Like you can like when you give it, you push the drug and like people's like gums will start bleeding and stuff. Like it's that it's that potent. But uh, there's that, and then the other risk is because uh, blood flow is reperfusing to the heart, and there's parts of the heart are getting are kind of in a way getting nutrients again, so they're going to start working again. They might be out of time, and you can knock just knock. They can go into a your heart, it has to stay in sync, right? Otherwise, you go into an arrhythmia, you can go into cardiac arrest. So there's a risk of that, too. And we have to go through this whole song and dance of there's a big checklist that we got to go through. We got to read everything off. It's like, do you have this? Do you have that? Are you on this medication? Are you on this, this, that, the other thing? Did you have a fall in the last 10 days? Um, have you had surgery? Um, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then there's a spiel that we have to read that's written by a lawyer. And it's like, do you understand everything that we've said here and such and such that this has been had medication, whereas has has potential to save your life in this instance, like, but it also has a very high there is also a, a risk that it could kill you for these reasons. And do you understand all of this? We explain all of it. We have to do all of this before we even push the medication. And this medication saves people's lives, and it's very important. Mm. Yeah, that wasn't done here. And you know what happens if someone says, that scares the shit out of me. No, thank you. You know what we do in that instance? We say, that's fine. We'll offer it to you again later. Mm. Or it will be offered to you at the emergency room when we get there. But right now, we're going to load up and we're going to go and we're going to keep treating you. We don't withhold care. We don't, you know, kick them out of the we don't kick. We don't, yeah. we don't go, fuck you, get out. Yeah. There's not, none of that. It's okay. What we're we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna keep going and at any point that you want us to stop we stop, but like I I've never heard of anybody saying, hey I don't, I'm I'm cool just leave me with my heart attack like a, yeah. it doesn't usually happen but um like I'll take like, the risk yeah but at I'll least you risk. gave them the choice yeah but the choice is yours and we explain why and we explain everything and it's it's un dude it's it's unbelievable. Like, you know, it's shameful. You know what's crazy, Chet? Look where we're still at. See, this is what's blowing my mind and giving me PTSD. I think most people have PTSD of some I kind. I think they do too. After this, yeah. I, and that's I another think... subject I'd like to ask you about. But just really quickly, yeah. I wanted to say, like, we're still not past this. We're still sitting here in August of 2023 and our bonehead politicians and our bonehead paid off pharma shill medical institutions are still marching on as though nothing wrong happened and everything's fine. And we just did our best. And we, you know, and you're like, you're openly committing incredible crimes against humanity. I don't know what else to call it. Last year, last spring, I, Pierre Polyev did a little um, thing in Truro, Nova Scotia. 
and I and another vaccine injured paramedic went there and I told him to his face what happened to me, what happened to others, and what happened to my colleague. And we explained to it. And it's like, you need to talk about this. This is very, very serious. And I'll give it to you. He was very, very nice in the moment. And he actually, like, he, he provided, like, the information. Like, this is this is the route that you can go to, like, access, like, the programs. Because, like, we, because, we, like, you guys obviously deserve help and stuff. And, like, he said that, but, like, that's fine and all. But the big, like, I, I know, I already know all that. What I need you to do is do your job and tell people what's happening. And he hasn't spoken about it once, hasn't acknowledged mm -hmm. the NCI. They were all invited. Every single one of them were invited to attend. They were to attend and to testify. All of them, uh, I, I forget how many invitations they sent out, but they, they have, they're going to be all posted up on the, and the replies are going to be posted on the NCI website. Um, I think only five politicians responded and they just politely said, no, no, I am not able to do this, but every other one ignored it. It's like, that's, in, that's a shame. It's, and and it's a lot of people see Polyev as the savior from Trudeau. And I just don't think so. I think he's just another glove on the other hand for the same people that are really running this country right now. Yeah. I, I, I gave him a chance. I took it yeah. and I, put it in the palm of his hands like here you go here's the most one of the most important things that's happening in this country you need to do you need to do something and he did he, like, he was nice enough to me but he hasn't done a thing about it mm -hmm. hasn't even acknowledged it publicly it's like you're gonna you're gonna talk about sean hartman yeah like yeah no because we know like we know and there's uh, more sean that hartman. kid died from amyloidosis oh my god i can't amyloidosis there we go where it's mm. basically he had a whole bunch of spike protein flood through him it gave him like that brown raccoon eyes and um yeah it just basically caused uh caused his um adrenal gland to malfunction and threw him into a cardiac arrhythmia and he died it's such what a sad suspect? story i feel my heart breaks every day for the father man he's just destroyed oh, dude i've had to i've had the opportunity to talk to him it just oh, made you cry man yeah it's, it's just and there's so many more that we don't even know yeah and some people don't and some people just don't know yeah because it's like it's hard and as much as i don't like saying this sometimes it like sometimes like you and i are screaming into an echo chamber because like mm -hmm. and I, I talked about like some of, my, some of my friends saw how sick i got and their response was to attack me instead and it's like like you, you like you're witnessing this you're seeing this um it's it's unbelievable um yeah what's more frightening the government doing this or whoever's doing this or the just all the people that you used to think were just normal well they are but they're just your friends and family that are just watching it and going yeah nothing's happening and you're like dude the place is on fire they're like there's no fire you're like i can smell the smoke look at the flames they're like nah there's no fire you're just making it up that that's more horrifying to me almost yeah it's scary it the psyop worked it did it did right like so here's 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 the tinfoil hat moment this is what i think happened is um i think uh the sars-cov-2 virus was being developed as a bioweapon with the intent of releasing it um and it got out early before they were done cooking it in the lab and that's why they that's why there was a bit of a scramble Mm -hmm. to try to drop because these things these plans were drawn up there's a bit of a scramble to get them into place right and then 
I think all of this happened early and I think COVID, the intent was COVID to be much worse. Um, and we talked about um, Ron Johnson earlier, the Senator. Yep. He had a, um, and this is where I learned about like the lab leak thing. This was very, very early on. I, I'll see if I can find it for you and send it to you. This is from like, like very early in the pandemic, like March or April, maybe. Um, but like they had like kind of like when they got like Fauci's emails and stuff. But there was a a scientist that was working with uh, Ron Johnson, and his name is Dr. Stephen Quay, I believe. Oh yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he was talking about, and I and I don't remember the the full details of this, but he was talking about like things that he noticed in the virus, and some of this went right over my head, right. Um, and uh, how uh, like there was like things that looked like they were like strapped on, like that were abnormal. And one of the other things that he pointed out was the way that the virus was designed to interact with human cells. Uh, not only does it bind to ACE2 receptors, which um, uh, what ACE2 is, is angiotensin converting enzyme numero two. Uh, and it's part of the angiotensin, renin angiotensin cycle, which is what regulates your blood pressure. So renin, angiotensin, angiotensin two, basically do the stuff and they work on your kidneys and other parts of your body to make your blood pressure stay in check. It needs to go up or down. And so ACE2 receptors are anything that would regulate your blood pressure ACE2 receptors are on. So your lungs, your heart, uh, blood vessels, uh, your kidneys, almost all your organs, basically any specialty tissue, because it all works together as ACE2 receptors. So it's a very specific thing to design, to target. But there was that. And then the other thing where it um, interacted with cells to suppress uh, certain immune cells, which are called, um, oh my goodness, uh, Give me a second here. I'm having a brain fart. That's cool. Uh, I Google it so I remember. I want to say the right thing. Interferons, that's it. Oh, okay. Uh, so these are specialty immune cells that basically they kind of run interference and also work as kind of like a signal flare. So they do things uh, without and I'm not great at explaining it in great detail, but they do things like cause your like uh, your your body temperature to rise and stuff. So that has two things. It cooks out a virus and it also lets you know that you're sick. Right. So you become symptomatic. Your body deliberately makes you symptomatic to let you know that you've become sick for so you can start taking care of yourself. And the other reason is so that you will withdraw away from people so you don't make them sick. So mm -hmm. what it, this interfered with the virus, the initial virus that they obtained interfered with like interferon response. Um, so that would mean that your body wouldn't let you know that you're sick as quickly because you'd either have to either have to, it's a slower buildup to become symptomatic or uh, you'd have to have enough tissue injury to become symptomatic. So it delays the response. And why would you do, why would you design that in a virus unless you wanted to drop it in a population make it spread as asymptomatically as possible and get as much coverage so you can scare people and make as many people as sick as you can wow wow i know and you know i know this brings us to the thing where 
there's been so many theories about this, right? And it to be expected because we know they're lying to us what they're telling us with this official theory they're giving us about, oh, it was a wet market and it was just all this stuff. But you've got different camps that are sort of competing with each other over this, um, where you've got one group that would say what you're talking about with, okay, this is a lab created virus that they weaponized and released. Maybe it was done early, like you're saying, or maybe it was done intentionally as sort of the soft kill approach or the entry, the first shot, right? But then the full weaponized attack came with the jabs. That's kind of an idea. And then there's the people that think, oh, this was all smoke and mirrors. It was all statistical fraud. There was no virus. It was just, they just inflated the flu numbers, which I think they did inflate the flu numbers. Oh, I think so too. But that still kind of leaves, you know, there's sort of an extreme take on it. And then the people that don't think any of this viruses don't exist at all or whatever. And I always try to point them to all the literature on at least understanding weaponized virus and understanding weaponized biological warfare and how yep. they have indeed been able to achieve the ability to take out a population using synthetic uh, bioweapons. Um, and so there's all these different things. What do you say to the fact that there's just so many wide ranging theories on this that's kind of muddying the pot in a way and it's actually becoming, you'd think it'd be more easy to find the truth right now, but it's actually becoming a little bit harder because the internet is just being hit with so many different points on this and different, oh, it's evidence here, it's evidence there. And the average person out there is just kind of putting their hands up going, I don't have the time to dive in oh, and learn yeah. all this. There's no way it, we can know. And it's just the fog of war right now. It really is. And it's, it is overwhelming. And like, like I knew things were nefarious and, but like, and like one of the, I didn't, I'm not a good, good at being a super villain, I guess. Uh, I didn't, I didn't think of weaponizing a cure. I never thought of that. Like that is. That's you, insidious. man. That's, yeah. that's insidious. Yeah. Like, um, let's like, like, like I think of it as like, let's starve a population and then poison their food. when We go to feed them. Like, that's like, you're, you're awful. It's next level evil. hundred percent. It's next level. Um, and like, and I don't think everybody that was like, that worked at Pfizer and stuff. Like, I don't think all these people are evil, but I think, no, like, I think there's, there's malfeasance like there's there's a tremendous amount of negligence but like the malfeasance and stuff is at the top and it's like you're it's like you're dealing with like d-list bond villains yeah it's well it's, it's compartmentalized right like yeah. think of the military structure mm -hmm. it's top-down command right so yeah. that little low-level grunt working on one little tiny speck of information at Pfizer or, or project at pfizer isn't gonna know right yeah. Uh, you're even, even a lot of the government officials, even a lot of the people working in the healthcare system, they didn't know. Yeah, like, look, look at, look at, uh, say like Brooke Jackson, uh, who worked for Pfizer, part of the clinical trials. And she right. was trying to, um, trying to make sure things were good because like, she was like, she saw problems. Like, well, she like, let's, let's see if we can develop a, a treatment to help people. And then, then saw how bad things were handling and then blew the whistle. And it's, uh, like, she's not a villain. She's just caught in the same system. Right it's and like good honor man like that that takes that takes tremendous courage to do that like but um you're right and i i've, I've actually i've been watching um i'm all about halfway through it i think i'm in like episode five or six now of your cult of the medics thing that you put out it's oh, very really? good oh. yeah it's oh, very good man. very very uh dystopian <laughs> <laughs> um a little bit it's a tough but yeah but yeah like you, you you hit the nail on the head with it it's um 
Like I've been like I've a number of times I've been told that it's like, oh, it, from both sides. Oh, you're the problem. Like you're you're a healthcare professional. It's your it's your your pandemic's your fault. Or it's like, oh, you're uh, you're um, <laughs> well, it's from both. You get it from both ends. Oh, well, you didn't take the vaccine twice. Pandemic's your fault. It's like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> like <laughs> you're getting hit from both sides. That's yeah. what it is. And you're trying and, to have a very grounded, you know, middle yeah, ground approach. Middle, middle of the road. It's like I, there's obviously something wrong. Yeah. Like the way this was handled was uh, atrocious, obviously. But there was a there was a problem that needed to be addressed, and the way that that problem was addressed made it worse. And yeah. I genuinely believe, and I think we've proven in a lot of ways that that was by design. I agree. I agree. And um, that's, that's bad enough. Like why, why do you exaggerate enough. it to, you know, the proportions we do. And just so you know, in that series, I tried to make this uh, disclaimer. I did it in the first chapter. I tried to put it through and I've said it many times on my show. I'm not trying to indict every medical worker in every field with this. They're a part of that bigger system. That is the problem. I'm going after the guys at the top of a pyramid here, the progenitors of it, the guys that turned it into the structure that it is that allowed for something like this to happen. The people that profit and benefit off of disease and death in this way. And the people that have a belief and a worldview that there's too many humans running around on the planet. Yes. And if you have that belief and you openly do scientific journals and studies and discussions and Ted talks talking about it for literally, I've got stuff going back over a hundred years where they're talking about this going back to the Royal society in England and Birch and oh, Russell dude, and all these wild. guys, right? It goes all the way back and you go, they're openly saying that they need to depopulate the planet. And, you know, so do you think maybe one day they're going to be serious about it and give it a go? And if they were, this would be how you do it. You don't walk out and just start capping people in public. you got to do it. Yeah, you don't, would be you the don't way do you it do with it. a machete. That's for sure. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And, and look who they look who they targeted first. Your first responders, your medical professionals, and your soldiers, the people that you depend on. The people who would probably try to stop some of it, you know? Yeah. Hopefully. And then they targeted the elderly. Remember, that was all about saving grandma from the two weeks yeah. to stop the spread. Um and you know, and then they moved into, oh, now this is affecting the young. Then they had the whole thing about, oh, there's a new version of it that is going to kill your children. I remember those headlines. That was in 2021. Um, what were they calling it? I can't remember. But it, remember then either, just but every way possible to keep everybody in constant fear and anxiety. And then what do they do? They go, give me protection, government. I'll do whatever you ask of me, including re reporting my neighbors like the Stasi police. And I will... I'll help you to arrest these people that are trying to question what you're doing. Like they weaponize the public mind, the mass mind against everybody else. That's going to go, wait a minute. This is where you get into that whole mass formation psychosis bit. Yeah. And they're, they're kind of doing the same thing again here. And uh, I think they're doing it probably across the country, but in Nova Scotia was like the wildfires, which. Oh, the um, climate thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like it was full on state of emergency. Like we were under a state of emergency for the entire province, not just the counties that were on fire. Like, like, like there's a, it's a very, very serious, a serious fire in Halifax and uh, down in the South shore, down there, like near like Lunenburg. Um, then these were very serious fires because like the conditions for them to, uh, conditions um, were perfect to take advantage of, let's say. 
because mm. we had that huge hurricane last year and we had a bunch of deadfall that was never cleaned up. Uh, so you have a bunch of dry tinder on the ground and all it takes is one person to fuck up or one person to be an arsonist, which we've rested quite a few of those, quite a few, um, which is interesting. And, you know, um, they've arrested a couple of them. The one down on the South shore was definitely arson. The one in Halifax seem appears to be an accident. Mm. Um, but I remember, um, cause, uh, my cousin lived in the area and I would stay, I'd keep the radio scanner on just to make sure nothing like it was cause it was pretty close to her house. And, uh, me and my brother-in-law would listen. I would listen at night and he would listen during the day. And like, there was times where like the fire crews were calling. It's like, yeah, we just had three guys start bonfires in the, in the woods, like off like the highway here. Like just like called this in a couple of times and down on like Peggy's Cove, there's people shoot flares into the woods and stuff. It's like, this is, this is like my, whether this is, you know, eco terrorists or not, because like, well, when there's a fire, the arsonists will come out. If there's an accidental fire that starts or there's a normal forest fire that occurs, arsonists will be motivated to come out. So you, it's, you can't always chalk it up to maybe it is, maybe is it, excuse me. Like, but either way, they take advantage of it. Either way, right? it's being taken advantage of. And then like to declare a province-wide state of emergency is a bit ridiculous because like, yeah, sure, the there's a very serious fire in Halifax, but there's nothing going on in Cape Breton. There's no, like they banned they banned you from going in the woods and they banned you from fishing. You weren't allowed to go fishing in Nova Scotia for like a month. Now, I don't know the last time, but may maybe I'm crazy. Maybe fish are extremely combustible, but <laughs> and maybe that's why they're You're in near the, water. the water. I don't know. So yeah. The fire is going to get you more there. Yeah, for it's sure. going to get you. But, um, but this is what it is, Chet. They they want to wet. They're going to use the state of emergency, and it's going to be one emergency after another. Remember Klaus Schwab? He's up there talking about the the poly crisis age. There's just mm -hmm. one state of emergency after another, and I think they need those states of emergency, whether real, whether manufactured, whether whatever. Um, they need the state of emergency in the mind of every person if they're going to change the social, political, economic order. Right. It's the, yeah. it's just what they need in order to make their stupid little pipe dream happen. Yeah. And, and, and get this. So we were under this. We were under two states of emergency simultaneously. One was for wildfires um, because and the fires had been controlled and since they had since gone out. While we were under the state of emergency wildfires, we were also under a province wide state of emergency for flooding. Oh, wow. Because hell, hell of it, like and it was pretty serious. Halifax was under like three feet of water. Yeah, because um, it was it was the most insane rainfall I've ever seen in 24 hours. Um, but those you can't have a wildfire and torrential rain state of emergency in the same area at the same time. Yeah, that's or maybe question. it must just be the combustible fish, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Just, it's just like what are you doing? And like the at least end one first <laughs> um and like the with the wildfire thing and um it's a lot of it comes into mismanagement because they they we had a um, i'm not sure the specific name what you call it but it's the they're like kind of like the elite firefighters that like jump in the helicopter they fly them out they're like the hot shots and they'll drop them off and then they'll like do like burn lines and stuff um and uh and then like the the guys on the ground will work their way up to them like we had like that kind of like elite team that's the helicopter firefighters um uh nova scotia government disbanded them 
um, sold off all their gear and their helicopters. Uh, we had a bunch of fire watchtowers all over the province. The government uh, disbanded that entire program, so we don't have a fire watch team anymore. Um, a bunch of guys from departments of the lands and forests volunteered to help and to uh, manage like the teams of firefighters and stuff because like they've got like decades of experience doing this and they were turned away and it's like you are it's like is it incompetence or is it malfeasance what is it i think it's a mix but i lean more towards malfeasance malfeasance in general because here's the thing we can compare that kind of behavior to other countries and seeing that this is happening everywhere right now. Incompetence sometimes produces positive results. Malfeasance never does. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Sometimes and that's where we're at lucky. is trying to figure it out. So I know you got to run, you got another show to do. Um, but just let's just wrap it up real quick. What's your take on where things, at least in Canada, are moving. You've kind of got your ear to the ground, you know, with the inquiries and these different things. Are we going to start to see some of this come into any, like any of these cases that are before some of these courts? Uh, you think they're going to get any traction? Do we see any light at the end of the tunnel for Canada? Do we see, for example, more people in your profession that are starting to listen now? Maybe they didn't listen before, but do you feel like maybe more people within the government, within the medical world are starting to wake up a little bit? Yeah. I'm asking for some positive news, but I mean, what do you actually think? I think so. Um, I think it's going to be slow and I think it's going to be painful um, because this is, it's all very unpleasant. And um, it, um, it's hard to believe even, even as somebody who knows, like it's hard to believe like this is, like this is comic book level yeah stuff right it's it's and it's it's so plain as day and like christ bill gates and the eu are talking about blocking out the sun like mr burns did that on the simpsons for fuck's sakes i know what's with the simpsons predicting so much of I, this today? I, it's either the Simpsons predicted or are they just taking cues from the Simpsons? I don't know at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're like, we just needed something ridiculous. Let's just go yeah. find the scripts of all the cartoons and make it. Yeah. Happen. It's, it's, it's crazy. And there, one thing I can tell you, like here in Nova Scotia, like, um, things are going to get spicy as things move forward. For instance, with like Jeremy McKenzie's, like lawsuits and stuff like his weapons charges have been dropped um they've got they caught the government with their pants down around their ankles with regards to like their communication because they forgot that um their emails and stuff are subject to freedom of information requests Mm. so we have for instance tim houston and robert strang's emails and all their documentation and stuff like you just have to ask for it and they have to give it to you and so um there's going to be some crazy stuff coming out with that i i can't talk about it yet like i know some things that i can't say publicly yet Understand. um because yeah. um i'm going to be helping uh paul westhaver uh morgan and jeremy with a few things um it's uh it's gonna get it's gonna get ugly but um i'm i'm certain we're gonna hold people accountable 
we just have to we just have to show people why they need to be held accountable mm -hmm. because people are more and more people are asking more and more questions because they're seeing people in their family get hurt get sick and stuff and, um you can't they can't they can't hide it forever man and maybe in a yeah. weird twisted way it kind of had to be like this like we 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 had it so good for so long in Canada, we were we we're kind of asleep politically, especially geopolitically here, yeah. and um, we basically got put together, kicking and screaming, to become a country, anyways. But the thing is, is that people now are are watching this happen, and more people are waking up by every action or uh, inaction or cover up that gets exposed by the government is coming out more and more now and people are seeing it it's affecting their lives with the prices of food and gas and everything else and they're starting to ask questions they're having friends and family suffer from these jabs is becoming undeniable um and in a weird more way more people are losing their homes and or, yeah or exactly or their businesses or their jobs or what their careers um generational businesses were destroyed and they're not coming back and that wasn't because of covid that's because of government policy because of government and and so when you think about it how else would people wake up to the fact that we are all we were already moving into a very totalitarian direction that there was already um a lot of stuff that needed to come to the surface and in a way we kind of had to watch this happen as sad as it is in our country in order to snap out of it and go man we got to grow up we got to really look at just how systemic this corruption problem is and um you know so maybe it just kind of had to be this way as much as we wish we could have avoided most of this damage um yeah i agree um i'm gonna have to take off in a minute but i'm gonna i'm gonna sure. leave you with a quote from okay somebody please. that meant a lot to me um and it kind of inspired me to be kind of the man that i became why i became a first responder why i chose to step off the curb every time it was necessary and um and that person is my grandfather he served in the second world war he was a uh bombardier and radio operator and a mosquito fighter bomber which was the fastest plane in world war ii and up until the the jet engine and um when uh when i was in high school he told me about his service during the world war ii and um in canada we didn't have the draft really like there was a bit at the end but if you got drafted you went to the infantry or you went to the navy but he went to the air force and there was no draft in the Air Force. It was all volunteers. And so what he told me was in Canada, in regards to the Air Forces, nobody gets drafted. You have to be crazy enough to volunteer. I love it. And we need more volunteers in chat, man. Yeah. I want to thank you Not for what you've done, yeah. man, coming out and speaking out and going to these inquiries and doing the research. And um, I'm sorry for what happened to you. But your story is inspiring a lot of people, and it's, I hope it continues. It's to be okay, though, man, because like, um, if it hadn't happened to me, I wouldn't have been able to. I may not have stepped off the curb to tell other people the war. Right? Mm. Um, I'm ironically one of the few cases where someone getting vaccinated actually saved the lives of others. Right. Talked them out of it, and. Um, the other, the other thing I guess I'll finish on is nobody's born with courage. You got to find it, and we can we can certainly help each other find the courage you need right now. So that's what we got to do. That's how you 
there's a lot of people who are very scared right now. So it's, I think it's the idea of those of us, like you and I in our position to help them find their courage so that they can step off the curb too. 1000% brother. Well said. And that's why we're here and we lean on each other for additional courage and strength and we're going to need it, but we've got it. And I believe the truth is going to come out and it's going to absolutely decimate this lie and many others. And we just got to stick together, keep speaking the truth, even when your voice shakes. And like you said, find that courage. So chat or chat, this has been amazing. I really appreciate it. Let's do it again sometime. Please yeah, give my best. Sorry. I know you're going to go talk to Peter McCullough. Please give him my best. Give, put a good word in for me. I've been trying to get him on the show and sure. uh, keep fighting the good fight and uh, send me some of that info and I'd be happy. Yeah, to man. Back I'll, I'll send it to you probably later this evening. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Thanks, man. That was great. Thanks everybody for joining us. If you found value, which I hope you did, please share the hell out of this episode. It's very important. It really helps. We need to get the word out. I appreciate it. You can get all of my work at dwtruthwarrior.com. Chet, do you have any uh, websites or social medias you want people to come and check you out at? I'm on Twitter. It's, it's my last, it's at Chisholm Chet, but it's mostly snarky stuff, some NCI stuff, but, um, Go to the NCI and watch, watch some of it. It will change you. Um, if I don't know anyone who can sit and watch that and not feel something, because yeah. you you get to see the insanity and you get to you get to feel people's pain. It's uh, it's something else. Well, I'll put the links to the ones you sent me and some of the others as well into the website so people can check it out. But thanks again and uh, keep fighting, brother. You're doing a great job. All right, guys, with that, we'll end it. Have a great week, and we'll catch you again next time on Truth Warrior. Cheers, everybody.